the next president of the United States, Hollywood Hogan! So much for the 4-0 mark. Seems to me Jericho now has made the list. It's he scored for Goldbergs! That's Yes! It is! It's a man Bigelow! What the heck is he doing here? Down goes Big Sexy. I believe the first time taken off his feet in this entire event tonight. Luger nailed him with that bionic forearm. Scott Hall walking around dazed. He goes down. Luger, if you recall, a few years back was one of the last men remaining, taking on the entire NWO at that time. But oh, how things has changed. He's going to try to rack, or is he? Or just dump out. Big Sexy takes out Scott Hall. Let's go, he's out. Give him this. Slipped through the cracks in a stolen jewel, and you have found the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Rory McNamara. Thank you very much for joining me today for Volume 2 of our monthly winding through all things retro wrestling, World Championship Wrestling, our destination. Three volumes for you. Volume 1, World Wrestling Federation Survivor Series 98, and Volume 3, ECW's November 2, Remember, or so it says here. I have Adam Joyce with me for the third WCW month in a row. And listeners, I do not have pictures of Adam, okay? Adam, how are we doing? Um, surprisingly, a lot better. You know, I've, I've not had to sit through any more of that Hogan versus Warrior Dross. So this month was like a dream. <laughs> I think we still both wear the scars after that one. But uh, we'll see if anything, anything still remains as we talk our way through World Championship Wrestling for November 1998 as we step now into the time machine. Adam, give us the news headlines, if you would. Okay. Say your prayers and take the Pledge of Allegiance. And what were we saying about Hogan? Yes. Hulk Hogan announced his retirement this month in news which will please Dan Welling, if nobody else. Well, it pleases me too. Or it would if he really was retiring. He announced said retirement 
on the talk show hosted by his old friend Jay Lano at the end of November, in which he also confirmed what he said to us on Nitro a couple of weeks ago, that he plans to run for, what else, but the presidency of the United States of America in the year 2000. I'm sure in his mind he has already been the president since around 1984, but now he wants to make it official. We will, I'm sad to say, have more on this development a bit later on. Did he jump or was he pushed? Yes, now Hogan is out of the picture, at least temporarily. Kevin Nash is now seen to be in full charge backstage. Not only does he have extreme booking power, as we will talk about when we get to the pay-per-view, but he is now laying waste to all before him backstage. (laughs) Much to the extent that Hogan was two years ago, to the extent where people are scared to even speak their minds to him, knowing that he will give them very short shrift. In totally unconnected news, he won the 60-man battle royal at World War III giving himself the small matter of a title shot against Goldberg at next month's Starcade. The other main event at that pay-per-view was won by Diamond Dallas Page, defeating Bret Hart for the US title. Not coincidentally, Diamond Dallas Page also has booking power at World Championship Wrestling. Scott Hall Legal Troubles, part 846. At least I think that's the count, yes. Uh, at, in his hometown, for the fifth time this year, Scott Hall totaled a car and he was breathalyzed. And this time, as <laughs> amusing as it sounds, the police found actually nothing on the breathalyzer machine. Now, unless he has found ways to work around it, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, then he at least has got away with this one. But the problems themselves still appear to continue. I'm sure we will be able to take this up to the count of 1,000 next month. Scott Steiner, Legal Troubles, Part 1. Or at least we believe this one is Part 1. Okay. Yes, Scott Steiner faces charges of aggravated assault and making, and I quote, terroristic threats stemming from an incident of road rage at a highway construction site on April the 21st in South Cherokee, Georgia. Scott Steiner, who is arraigned under his name Scott Rex Steiner, approached a roadblock and the state highway worker signaled Scott to detour. Scott refused and actually inched his car forward into the worker twice, although not causing injury. He agreed to a plea with the prosecutor, but the judge didn't accept it. He had agreed to plead guilty and face five years probation and pay $2,676 in restitution. The judge wasn't satisfied with the plea agreement. (laughs) No kidding. Now, Scott now faces either a stiffer sentence or will have to go to trial. Now, get this one, everybody. Scott's attorney said Scott pleaded guilty only because he felt his heel wrestling persona would prevent him from getting a fair trial. I guess it is still real to the judiciary. The original charges also accused Scott of making the aforementioned terroristic threats because he told the worker he'd run him over if he didn't move. The judge, upon hearing Steiner's explanation, said he was not guilty of terroristic threats if Scott's wording was as he said it was. Mm, That makes sense to me. If the case goes to trial and he is found guilty, he could face up to 26 years in prison. That's a whole new meaning to the phrase holler if you hear me. Major talent exodus? Indeed. Chris Jericho. Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, and Chris Benoit. Oh, all have either not signed new contracts, not satisfied with the terms of their new contracts, or being docked pay. Now, to send a message to these people, Chris Jericho actually had, that's the most high profile at the moment. Chris Jericho had to drop the TV title to Conan, of all people. I think that's what they call sending a message. Now, it is actually said that in the case of all five, if the backstage rumours are to be believed, the new WCW contracts actually offer more than their WWF ones would. But job satisfaction and all that indicates that it's highly possible that all five could be could make a jump by next summer, 
we will tell you first. One person who is definitely going to make the jump is the Giant. That's the last time you'll hear him mentioned in the company of those five names who will be running down his contract and could be appearing in the World Wrestling Federation on screen as early as the end of January. But if the old 90 days kicks in, he will not appear in the ring until May of 1999. Let me give you the ratings for the month. Sorry, WCW, I have to do this. Clean sweep across the board for the Federation. On November the 2nd, a 4.81, handily beat their 4.1. On the 9th, a 5.03, as they also scored a 4.1. A big defeat on the 16th, 5.5 against the 4.3. And on November the 23rd, 4.86, defeated their 4.5. And remember, everybody, we are now on Patreon. If you wish to drop us $1 on patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs to say thank you for all our efforts, including the audio problems we had before we went on air here. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. And that $1 will get you early access to each and every show as soon as they are recorded and edited. You will not need to wait until the end of the month. They will be in your inbox the very second they're ready. If you want to drop us $5 a month, then you will get access to our monthly bonus shows out of timeline. We'll give you more information information on those at the end of this particular program that one dollar five dollars we appreciate anything you want to give us but please make absolutely certain of this standard shows for all three all three promotions wcw wwf and ecw will always remain free we don't do this for the money but we do appreciate every little you give us definitely keeps the show on the road and allows us to talk about things like this Let's start the month in Fort Lauderdale with Alex Wright versus Norman Smiley, or Normal as I just typed. The Teutonic Wonder gets a win. The Nitro girls are here too. Fresh from the dollhouse? You need to be au fait with Girls 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 by Motley Crue to get that one. But hey, who isn't? Disco versus Kaz follows. Hayashi gets distracted by Sonny Ono on the outside. We've only been doing that for two years. And then Inferno wins with the Macarena Pile Driver. He's a discotheque wreck, yeah. Gene talks to Booker, who we haven't seen since August. Stevie promised to watch his back, but he reneged. You do your thing, and I'll do mine. And as for the person who tried to pull a Tonya Harding on his knee, he wants to see them in the middle of the ring tonight, and that is Scott Hall. Tonight he will kick you where the good Lord blessed you. Scott Putsky versus Fit Finley is over after the Belfast Bruiser wins what is not a Macarena pile driver. A Khalid pile driver, maybe? They're actually continuing the Miller and Armstrong feud. Hey, it started on pay-per-view. Ernest wins with ease. Steve gets wiped out afterwards. I repeat, they're actually continuing the Miller and Armstrong feud. Roth tears through Kendall Wyndham and the fans are still with him. Brett is out for an interview. He is scheduled to face Luger tonight, but he has suffered a severe groin pull, so the match won't happen. But he will wipe out everybody who gets in his way <laughs> because he doesn't like them. Oh. Lex is here now and he smells a rat, which he then tries to exterminate with a clothesline and a rack. After Bash at the Beach 94 last week, Bischoff brings us footage of Halloween Havoc from the same year so we can see Flair wrestling. Again, what is shown isn't that doctored, really. Flair and the Horsemen interrupt it because they want the truth from the boss. Arn is tired of his kids' games. Let the men do the fighting. Flair tells Bischoff that he is an abusive, overbearing pussy, I think. The other horsemen chip into no great effect, but grudging praise goes to Mongo for calling Bischoff a Shetland pony. Van Hammer has ditched the flying V for the V sign, but he hasn't ditched the sucking. Norton beats him, 
with a powerbomb. Sutton calls out Eddie to face him one-on-one. -on -one. They exchange big moves in their two minutes, including a T-bone superplex, until the LWO run in. Conan comes in and tells Sutton he will handle this, and he thinks that the LWO ain't Rasa. Conan needs to watch his back, says Eddie. There will be another day on another turf. And A-Rod walks to the back with K-Dog. Okay. Chaos versus Scott Steiner doesn't get started, as Dylan won't let it happen, but thankfully he decides against doing the same for Ray versus Psychosis. Ray gets distracted by the LWO, they really are doing this right, and P hits a stiff top rope powerbomb for the three. Gene calls out Jericho in a Goldberg t-shirt. Now that everybody knows the deepest, darkest secrets of pro wrestling, he is about to share another one with us. He really respects Bill, and it's all water under the bridge. From one two champion to another, I wish you the best in your future endeavours. Raven vs Malenko is next. Raven refuses to fight back, which would be more effective if we hadn't seen Nash do this just last month. Mongo sees off Lodi. Benoit tries to do the same to Canyon, but Brett stops him and traps him in an armlock. Malenko wins with a cloverleaf before Canyon attacks him, and before Luger can get to Brett, the giant comes to his aid. You got that. I'm not repeating it. Jericho is here again to face Kidman. The TV title only is up for grabs here, and it is hot stuff with some corking near falls and drama. Until the time limit expires. Another throwback to 1994 today? After being fined $100,000, Scott Steiner storms to the ring to say nobody can control him. Stupid chaos then gets beaten up. Survey time with Scott ends with him saying Nash isn't here because he's at the hole in the wall. He then faces Booker as promised and the match is fine enough. Hall drags the ref in front of the axe kick, but Charles Robinson calls for the bell to award T the win via DQ. The main event is Luger against the subbing giant. It's nothing squared until Lex calls for the rack, but Brett is in with a guardrail in his hand. He attacks the knee until Goldberg turns up. He spears giant, however Brett then ducks, and it is Lex who takes it as the show closes. It's November 9th now and it's the Nassau Coliseum, and we open to the strains of the Star Spangled Banner because the President is on his way. The first limos to arrive are of course those of the two warring NWO factions. They debate by brawling it out in the parking lot. Hayashi Hoovy is interrupted by Bischoff confirming that the President will be here. Thankfully we get to concentrate on another, another few minutes of excellent action until Miller and Ono make an appearance. Somehow an Ono kick is enough to keep Hayashi down. Alex Wright versus Horowitz. Alex actually requests absolute silence during this match. He could have saved his breath. He does get the red and black though, and then so do we. Nash quotes Popeye and tells the black and white they will have to kill the wolf pack if they want to be rid of them. Tonight they want them in any combination, but that must include Scott Hall. That's not any combination, is it? Luger then puts out a challenge to Brett. Bischoff is here to grant them their wishes. Sort of. Scott Norton versus Lodi. You've all been here long enough now. Tony interviews the Disciple. Do not adjust your set. He stands on his own, although Horace takes exception with that. They exchange barbs straight out of 1980 until Horace attacks, complete with weightlifting belt. The crowd seems to be waiting for Warrior to turn up, and what seems like an oddly long time until he does, they get their wish. People seem to like him in small doses. Here comes another motorcade. We have to wait to see who is in it, but apparently, the man is here. After a short while, hail to the Chief strikes up. Larry wants lower taxes. Yeah, that's surprisingly. But of course, it is only bloody Hogan. 
Bischoff salutes to him. Uh-huh. After congratulating Jesse on his election in Minnesota, and now it's time to announce his candidacy. He will serve and protect his country. Dean asks what party, and Hogan decides to ignore that one. Brett, to a decent pop, says Luger was lucky to escape with his life last week, and now he's finished with him. And Sting, get well soon. Page, just FedEx the US belt back to its rightful owner. And Conan, tonight I'm going to kick the hell out of you. Oh, I love quoting these. Eddie Ray, oh, you betcha. It's very different to how you would expect, built around Eddie's slow destruction of Ray's leg. Charbo hops in, and that distraction allows Ray, on one leg, to get the surprise roll-up for the surprise win. Bishop is back. I typed out a loss. Flair won't wrestle tonight because he couldn't pass a physical. Mm-hmm. He then turns to the fines levied by JJ last week and brings out yet more attorneys and a corporate controller. He apparently authorised the Steiner Bagwell pay deduction. Bischoff then beats them up. And the crowd don't care. And why should they? And here are Scott and Buff. They beat up Nick Patrick on Thunder. Scott demands somebody comes out to face him. And it's Chris Adams. He gets destroyed. Then Rick says he wants a tag team title match. And his partner, Judy Bagwell. The match doesn't take place yet though, although she does get a paintbrush buff. She was going to be there in the match at World War 3 incidentally, but she did go down with a genuine case of appendicitis. <laughs> Here's Conan Brett then. K-Dog is aggressive from the out, but Hart then takes the reins. And the chair from ringside. Luger makes the save. Jericho, with his Brett Michael CC Deville hair, talks with Gene. He compares Goldberg chants to boring ones, and he might be onto something. Greenberg then turns up and spears him. So that's that. The main event pits Hall and Giants against Nash and Luger. Lex takes the heat, but shortly after Kev tags in, Brett attacks his knee. That's his gimmick now. So there we are. That's the first two weeks of Nitro. Uh, the first Nitro on the second, fairly uneventful to my eyes, other than during his interview segment, Chris Jericho telling us that now we knew the deep and dark secrets of professional wrestling. What was he referring to there? He was talking about the program which aired on NBC on the 1st of November. Now, this has been seen by many people as a cheap cash-in on the popularity of the grap game at the moment, and those people are probably right. It's got a kicking in the sheets and everywhere else, and I quite understand why. However, it wasn't really aimed at wrestling fans. I mean, if you're listening to this program right now, I'm sure you don't need to know that the referee relays information to the wrestlers in the ring and that when you're taking a backdrop, you extend your arms to make sure you land safely. Nothing new there, apart from two rather interesting points. One, the roster they used of wrestlers to demonstrate, the cons, as they put it, under the names of the likes of Skulldoggery and my personal favourite, Ben Hurt. Ben Hurt! That's Ben Hurt. But also, we learnt about the existence of a stunt granny. And you know she's a stunt granny because she winks after the big bad heel has pushed her over. And, you, and there I was thinking, I knew it all. Hollywood, tonight on Nitro, is here to announce my candidacy for the highest office in the land, the presidency of the United States. And brother, if I can get... America behind me, just like Minnesota got behind Jesse. We shall turn the page. We shall give America a brand new start. And Hollywood and all my people that love America shall take us into the new millennium on a brand new start. I am here not only to serve, 
but to protect my country. Thank you. That's a very strong statement. We can assume then that that's official. You will be a candidate. What party? I'm curious. Well, you know something? We are in heavy negotiations, strategic meetings, forming our whole campaign force. And with my campaign manager, he shall lead, direct, and take us with this momentum all the way into the new millennium. Stay tuned, brother. We shall rock the world just like Jesse did. I thank you very much, gentlemen. I think you said it pretty well. This is your campaign manager, and this is the candidate for the year 2000. I'm curious, you like a good cigar? I don't smoke. Thank you very much. So, Nitro began on the 9th by the commentary team telling us that the president was on his way. The president of the United States of America, no less. So there could be no confusion. And indeed, very shortly after that, we cut to the back where we saw a big fuck-off motorcade. So, old Billy C is going to be making an appearance himself, is he? I'm afraid he was not. Because it turns out that the president, or the president-elect, I should say, was Mr. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Complete with Eric Bischoff saluting him, like he doesn't do that every morning, noon and night. Anyway, it's been seen as a bit of a cheap publicity stunt by Hogan. <laughs> I'm sure that one shocked you. Then a couple of weeks later, on the Jay Leno show, Hogan confirmed that he is retiring from pro wrestling. Isn't that right, Adam? Hogan running for president. And it's nothing to do with Jesse the Body Ventura in that governorship, despite the fact he saw fit to mention it every third sentence. <laughs> Jesse the uh, Mind Ventura, if you will. Jesse the Mind Ventura. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's still in better shape than I am right now. <laughs> uh, Hogan, Hogan or Jesse? Well, I think my knees are sli- hold together slightly better than Hogan's. Uh, so yeah, Hogan is uh, hes saying he's not sure which party he's going to run for. But as the picture of Reaganomics from the 80s, I feel if this isn't a publicity stunt, despite the fact that Blayton is, he should probably run on the Republican side. Uh, like I stated, the current president of the United States uh, essentially runs his... Uh, runs his administration like a Republican administration anyway. So, you know, people, so it's not going to be a hard transition for everyone to switch over. Um, but, I mean, no one's taking this seriously. I mean, he was supposed to, he was allegedly supposed to announce his running mate. I don't know if he's got. Um, but yeah, he's also announced his retirement. Um, I'm guessing that will last about as long as it takes him to see the first. Uh, staffing bill and realising that uh, Ed Leslie and Brian Knobs phone banking for him just ain't going to quite cover it. <laughs> um, oh my god, just imagine that. You get in from work at 6pm, you've got a call from whatever party Hogan is running for headquarters and it's Brian frickin' Knobs on the phone. Assuming he knows how to operate a telephone that is, which is a bit of a stretch itself. But we'll run with it for now. So yeah, he's got uh, Bishop as his campaign manager, you know. <laughs> Obviously, someone with a great deal of success behind them just uh, took a, take a look at this month's Nitro ratings. That's how you <laughs> Bischoff knows how to win big in November, doesn't he? So there we are. Uh, I mean, uh, look at pay-per-view buy rates. Yeah. Um, they're, they're certainly uh, holding strong, aren't they? Maybe I'm just feeling a, a little resentful as 
as you said earlier, this is the third month of, I've been dealing with this. But any for any sort of digs I can get in right now, it's just going to make it feel that a little bit better. Um, See, every cloud and all that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but I don't know. It's, there's not really a lot to talk about because it's, there's nothing legitimate about this. I've, I mean, I'm spurting out all these political points, but it's all going to come to nothing. Do you think Hogan believes it? Because I do. Oh, I have no doubt Hogan believes it. I still think Hogan believes that he will audition for to be the bass player in in Metallica when. <laughs> uh, oh, classic when, story. What's his name? Went out the tour bus uh, back know. in the eighties. When Cliff Burton died in 1986, yeah, in in yeah. Sweden, yes, and he reckons he was offered the gig ahead of Jason Newsted. Well, given what they, given what he's doing with them right now, I I don't think Hogan would have been much different of a choice. Would his um, base have been turned up on Injustice for All? I wonder. Well, it would have been all bass. I, you know. <laughs> well, Hogan does play the bass on the Stand Back video. If you've seen that. When he rises up there through the stage when Vince is shocking and jiving. Yes, yes, no, I remember. Yes, no, you see. Um, yeah, and oh, the, his stage before, presence was just electric, <laughs> I remember. Uh, how did we get onto this again? All right, okay. <laughs> Let's try, the, the last couple of times it seems to have come back to Metallica. For, for that's, why I, that's why I really have you on these shows, you know, as a fan myself. Okay. Well, the thing is, I'm a, I'm a maiden guy, so I don't even know how it's me that does it. You're a, you're a maiden guy, okay? We're gonna have to talk. <laughs> we're gonna have to talk about virtual eleven at one day, aren't we? No, we're not. Oh, no, no, no. That, that that's gone. That's history, um, isn't it? Brucey might that? be. Brucey might be coming back. He might be coming back. I think they might be done with Blaze now, so we'll see. Mm, I, see, I I didn't mind the X Factor. That's the thing, but yeah. Um, Virtual Eleven has been sitting in, in the case since the first time I listened to it and decided I'm never making that mistake again. X Factor was fine. You had Man on the Edge on there. Tune in to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast every month for Metallica and Iron Maiden talk, everybody. <laughs> and remember, you can sponsor us just $5 a month on Patreon to hear more of this. Right, okay. Hulk Hogan running for the presidency of the United States of America. Right, okay. Not a single mention of Maiden or indeed Metallica during any of his addresses. But on the Jay Leno show, to show that he really is taking this seriously, he actually put forward some policy ideas. Yes, it's not just about the personality, brother. He said that A, he needs to, and I quote, go after Saddam Hussein, because we didn't quite do it last time. And B, he also put forward a 15% flat tax. So yes, there you go, everybody. I bet you didn't think that we'd ever mentioned the Laffer curve on this show. It just won't be outdone, will he, this guy? Just when you think we finally got rid of him, and I don't buy this retirement for one second. Even Jay Leno nixed him about that on the program saying oh you're going to be back in six weeks aren't you and Hogan tried to laugh it off and Hogan actually saw the interview he looked so uncomfortable there this is a very British reference but if you've seen him interviewed by Lorraine Kelly for TVAM in 1989 now he can't handle her questioning but even Jay Leno's just finished him so God knows what it's going to be like at any presidential debates in two years time I think we can safely consider this one a non-starter I don't know. He just treats them all like uh, Jim Belzer from uh, just before WrestleMania. 
Hey, poor old Belzer. Still, uh, I think we talk about wearing the scars. I think he still very wears the literal scar around his neck 13 years on. Yes, okay. So we can probably ch chalk this one up as a chance being a fine thing. One more thing to talk about before we get to World War Three. <laughs> now, the link of Hogan's presidency to World War Three again, direct correlation. But one more thing we must discuss, and that is this. You want a piece of bad, bad people? And I'll show you why. On the beach in East. You're out of here. You're out of here. Bischoff didn't either. He just said, you're out of here. Bischoff out with JJ together. Get him out of here. You do not work for WCW. You can't just barge in here like this. You're disrupting a live television program. You need to leave the ring Get immediately. I want him out of here. Yeah, he is. And we need to get him out of here. Continue this program. Yeah, out of here. Good luck. You won't get him out of that easy. Uh, he truly is one of the most notorious He's a bad, bad man. Yes, he is. One of the most feared, one of the most dangerous men in all of professional wrestling. And the whole world is what he is. And now security back team in an explosion. And here comes Goldberg. The world heavyweight champion the is man. on his way to the ring. The man. You don't need to call him out more than once. And now look at security holding Bigelow back. And Goldberg runs in there. You call Goldberg out, he'll come out. And when he comes out, You'll wish he'd never come out. We had never witnessed anything like this ever. This is great. Look at the security forces trying to keep these two warriors apart. It's the man and the beast from the east. Bam Bam Bigelow is here. It's 35 men and maybe 40 men in there. It's uncontrollable. And look at Bischoff. As best he can to try to order. And he's the boss. He has not whoever thought that we would have him out here. This is one of the most hectic situations ever in the history of Nitro. The fans are standing. They're in shock. And Bam Bam Bigelow. Listen to him, Tony. They're chanting. Goldberg, Goldberg. Just took this program out. It's your fault. I want to see you back there right now. Yes, that is the appearance, the unannounced appearance, supposedly, of one Bam Bam Bigelow. Just to fill in the gaps from the audio you heard there, he burst in during a, uh, a Gene Oakland interview through the back and tried to get straight to Goldberg's locker room. He wasn't there, but he eventually found Bill and the two had a huge rock that swayed into the ring. He needed reams of security to try to keep them apart. And they kept on doing this throughout the next two weeks of Nitro as well, including the pay-per-view, which we will talk about. Uh, so it looks like Bam Bam is getting a big push right out of the gate to the extent where a lot of people backstage are not very happy with it, thinking that he has somewhat jumped the queue shall we say. Uh, they're presenting him as a big threat, Adam, but for me, I'm not sure it's them moving Bam Bam straight up to Goldberg if moving Goldberg straight down to Bam Bam. Oh, there is... I've... Yeah, I have some qualms about this, but I, uh, I mean, they've probably become clearer as we sort of go into World War Three. but just right off the bat, um... I know back in the day of NWA, it used to be really exciting and believable when like, an, like a wrestler would just show up out of nowhere. And in the ECW, it would still work. And in the Fed, it would still work. But I don't know 
if if it works in WCW for the simple fact everyone knows WCW is controlled by a big corporation. No big corporation is just going to let someone like that walk in. Not that's exactly. my that's my biggest flaw with, with this at the minute. That and the fact that they had this unsanctioned match, which again, big corporation controlling WCW. So you're pushing the realms of believability in that situation anyway. So they had this match that didn't happen because they ran out of TV time. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm questioning what they're doing with with this view because as we're going to discuss post-World War, World War III discussion, um, Goldberg's not got any more title defences between uh, the first appearance of Bam Bam and when he faces Nash. So are they going to put Bam Bam in for the title if, if he beats Nash, which I'm not sure if that's actually going to happen or not, given the history, which again, I think I'm probably going to cover uh, as we discuss this late, later in the podcast. Um, they, I mean, couldn't they'd have brought him in, him in sooner? Maybe they could have given him a pay-per-view match, but then again, uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think Bam Bam's a great talent. I think he's a really, I think he's someone who could really work well with with Goldberg and make Goldberg look like a monster, but they're re- choosing an odd time to do it because he's he's already got Nash, well, the, the winner of World War Three, which is as we're going to discuss shortly, was Nash lined up. So I, it's the same. It's essentially the same discussion we had last month with the Hall versus Nash match, where Nash walked out seemingly to promote a rematch that was never going to happen because you know there was no conceivable uh event for that rematch to happen at. um this thing with bam bam when is this match gonna gonna happen if, if it's in january is goldberg still going to be the champion because that's going to have knocked bam bam a couple of pegs down just by the fact she's no longer facing the champion and is goldberg going to go for a rematch in january which again knocks Bam Bam back, and are they really going to try and stretch this feud out for longer than two, two or three months? So it's that. That's my. That's all my qualms with it at the minute. But um, as a talent, as a match, I think this would be great. Uh, Bam Bam actually does seem really motivated here, and and it's so. And Goldberg certainly looks to be into it with all all the interactions they're having throughout the month. Very compelling watches indeed. And you're absolutely right when you say that Goldberg has really been giving it some in all of them. But, and you knew a but was coming, Bill Goldberg is the world champion. He doesn't, shouldn't need Bam Bam or anybody else really to try and elevate him. And that's what I mean when I say that they're almost dropping Goldberg down a bit here. We will talk about this more a bit later on. But ever since he won the title, they haven't really known what to do with him. And it looks like here we having his match with Bam Bam at some point in January. The big question is, will he be the champion there? We'll, again, we'll discuss that a bit more a bit later on. I like seeing Goldberg show some real fire. And I think they know what they've got with the character of him right now. Doesn't say many words, doesn't need to. Only says what he absolutely requires and then gets down to business. Tremendous. And I really liked it at the very end of the month when they had a fight out on the grassy knoll. 
as Tony called it, I'm sure accidentally, <laughs> outside the car park. That was great as well. So I've enjoyed all their interactions, including the one at the pay-per-view. But it seems to me they're setting Goldberg up for something on the second level rather than the top level. Even if he does, heaven forbid, lose the title next month, he should still be in the main event picture. And Bam Bam Bigler, no matter how you slice it, is not a main eventer yet. He could become one. It looks as though they might be planning on making him one. And if so, then all well and good. As you say, he's up for this. I really enjoyed his ECW run. I mean, as soon as he was turned face in the Fed three years ago, he was just phoning it in. All his performances after that tag team match at King of the Ring 95, I've mentioned that in two successive shows now, God help me. (laughs) He was nothing and he fell foul of the click and he was done. But when he hasn't got anybody over his shoulder to worry about, he's absolutely fine. Assuming Kevin Nash doesn't have his finger in this pipe as well, of course. So we'll see where it goes. I'm glad they're making a big deal of somebody they've brought in. They haven't just had him in on pro or something, just necessarily beating no names. I think too many people have already done that now. So going right for the top, it works. Assuming that Goldberg is the top echelon they're aiming for. My concern is I'm not quite sure that he will be for much longer. It's the middle of November and we're going home via Wichita, Kansas. Those aren't pillows. We start up with Kidman versus Hoovy, and again it's superb for every second of its 10 minutes. Both men come close to victory until Guerrero finally holds Kidman down for three after the 450 to take the Cruiserweight title. Kidman presents him with the belt afterwards. Roth versus Raven doesn't happen. He's an adult, so he doesn't need WCW telling him what he can and can't do, so he walks off. Canyon gleefully takes his place, but after asking who's better than Canyon, he gets the meltdown from his former fellow denizen of the pit-fighting world. Canyon now has his scheduled match with Glacier. Oh no, he doesn't, because Roth attacks the Iceman too. The contest takes place after they recover, and Canyon wins with the flatliner. Sonny Ono versus El Gringo, who of course unmasks as Kaz, but the cat is in to knock him down with a kick. Sonny can then apply the come on baby pin for the victory. Mongo and Malenko take on Stevie and Horace. Pop of the night so far for arm punching Vincent on the outside and it's usurped when he takes exception to the NWO's cheating by way of a tire iron. Now here's the nature boy. He has words for Eric, no gonads Bischoff. The boss doesn't recognise or care about tradition. If he ever had the chance to hit him, he would do so so hard he'd have four nipples. That won't happen though, so he will have to show him tradition instead. And here it is in the form of the returning Barry Windham. Bischoff is out to remonstrate, but the horsemen stand firm. Liz watch out, because BW is in town. Eddie and Ray do it again, or they will after Eddie promises he won't pursue Mysterio's services anymore if he loses. A poor showing by their standards ends when Hoovy accidentally nails Ray with a leg drop. Guerrero then hits the frog splash, and Mysterio must join the Latino world order. Judy Bagwell is in hospital at the hands of Scott Steiner. She tells her son to do away with Buff and to bring Marcus back. Putski Charbo exists as a backdrop for a commotion in the back, caused by none other than Bam Bam Bigelow as you've just heard. And after that, Eric fires JJ for screwing up once too often. Or he would if JJ wasn't about to quit anyway. You can run this madhouse any way you want. Later Goldberg corners Bischoff and demands Bama tonight. Saturn Conan ends after the usual LWO appearance. The combatants team up to see them off, but their alliance does not last long. Buff and Scott are here. Buff proved their friendship by letting Bib Papa Pump hit his mum. Wrestling is no place for a woman, and they will prove that 
by attacking the Steiner's mother. It is a man in track of course, but Rick is fooled for a while, and that is enough for Norton to jump him for the 3 on 1 attack. Jericho vs Bobby Duncan Jr, his father's son apparently. Duncan gets to shrug off a Lionheart's offence with disappointing ease, and Jericho takes a walk for the countout loss. The president-elect is here again. He loves America and will lead America. Bishop is busy today, so Hogan introduces us to his intern. You know who she looks like. Eric is then called out and does that over-exaggerated sigh that people do when they get on a train. Hogan lets him know that he is still watching Mr. Goldberg. Hall is here too and wants to know where Bischoff's head is at. Now is not the place to discuss family business, so Scott just nails him. Hogan then attacks Hall, without an executive order, till Nash makes the save. No pleasantries of his former buddy though. I'll see you in Detroit. Brett Benoit is next. Yes, it got that little attention. After five fine minutes, Benoit stops Brett using a chair, but a low blow when Mickey J prevents retribution lets Hart get it back. He pelts Benoit for the DQ before Malenko sees him off. For a few seconds, before Hitman pounds on him too, until DDP comes out to a massive pop. He wants to hit scum at World War 3. We don't get a match between Goldberg and Bam Bam as the Beast from the East attacks during the champ's entrance. The show closes with them having a big old brawl in the gangway. Which brings us to our pay-per-view for the month, the fourth annual edition of World War 3, hailing from Auburn Hills, Michigan. Adam, let us know the results, please. In the opening match, Wrath defeated Glacier. Stevie Ray got a disqualification victory over Conan. Sonny Ono and the Cat defeated Kaz Hayoshi and Perry Saturn when Ono pinned Saturn. Kidman defeated Juventud Guerrero to regain the WCW Cruiserweight title. Chris Jericho successfully defended the WCW television title against Bobby Duncan Jr. Kevin Nash defeated. Are we ready for it? Now for their scorer. Alex Wright, Barry Darso, Barry Harowitz, Bobby Blaze, Bobby Eaton, Booker T, Buddy Lee Parker, Chavo Guerrero Jr., Chip Minton, Chris Adams, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, Cyclope, Damien, Malenko, Disciple, Disco Inferno, Eddie Guerrero, El Dandy, Glacier, Van Hammer, Hector Garza, Horace Hogan, Johnny Swinger, Juventud Guerrero, Canyon, Kaz Hayoshi, Kendall William, Kenny Chaos, Kidman, Conan, La Parker, Lenny Lane, Lex Luger, Liz Mark Jr., Lodi, Mike Enos, Norman Smiley, Perry Saturn, Prince Iakea, Psychosis, Rey Mysterio Jr., Scott Hall, Scott Norton, Scott Pudsky, Scott Steiner, Scotty Riggs, Silver King, Steve McMichael, Stevie Ray, Super Callow, The Cat, The Giant, The Renegade, Tokyo Magnum, Villano 5, Vincent and Wrath in a World War Three 60-man over-the-top battle royal. And in the main event, Diamond Dallas Page defeated Bret Hart for the United States heavyweight title. Bravo, that man, bravo. I know how hard that can be. A certain somebody had me do that in my first ever show exactly three years ago. But even after a few months warm-up, I reckon it's still going to be difficult. So, chapeau to you. And you can keep your opening views as brief as you like, Adam, but what did you think of this show? Uh, it's such a mixed bag. It's it really seemed like they knew that they had the big battle royal, and then like the week before this, and they realized they didn't have anything else on the card. And so much of this stuff just seemed thrown together. I mean, the US title match between Brett and Page, at least there was a sense of build to that. 
uh, with Brett doing the taking his hitman name quite literally and uh, writing off one talent after another. Page being the first uh, to come back for him. But yeah, everything else just just seemed so kind of thrown together. I mean, some of the matches were actually quite good, uh, and just some of them had such weird weird endings. Um, I find it quite weird that Wrath versus Glacier is actually one of the matches that's in my positives for this pay-per-view review, which is how weird uh, this whole thing was. I'm going to keep my opening my opening gambit on this very, very brief because we've got so much to say a bit later on, which sums it all up. But for now, once again, I'm going to quote for you directly from an edition of the PW Torch this particular month. <clears throat> The current creative team in WCW are Dusty Rhodes, Terry Taylor, Kevin Sullivan, Craig Leathers, Annette Yothers, Kevin Nash, and Dallas Page. Right, let's talk about World War III 1998. <laughs> Just like last month, we open up with a lot of padding, and that doesn't include the fact that the first wrestler we see is Glacier. Sorry, Dell. And now Adam, by the sounds of it. <laughs> he is up against Roth to eventually kick us off after 12 minutes of waiting around. So our opening match then, Roth versus Glacier, the Meltdown versus the Ice Pick. Tony does mention their history, which I would appreciate if it was something worth remembering. Lots of stalling here, which isn't a very wise way to start. Roth gets sick of that and just dumps Glacier through the ropes. We kill another minute or so until Glacier is in with a few kicks and then a drop kick, but you aren't getting the big man down that way. He sends Glacier outside again. The Iceman strikes have no effect and Roth easily whips him into and over the guardrail. Some brief in-crowd brawling goes nowhere, and we're back in again. Hard lariat by Roth, which Glacier gives a 360 sell on, and the man from Three Mile Island, <laughs> always amuses me, goes on to dominate <laughs> with standard big man offense. A foot on the ropes cover off another clothesline scores a two count. Glacier chucked outside again, and Roth is already outside of his comfort zone here, I think. He chokes out the cold one with a television cable until referee Brady Boone, yes, that one, eventually unties him. Rear Chen lock as the crowd have already all but gone. Sudden chronic kick misses by quite a way, but Roth still sort of sells it anyway. The ice pick is called for, but the big man blocks it. Kick to the midsection, and now the crowd are back. The three steps to the meltdown equal the three count to victory. Adam. Uh, um, okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the main setup for this match was on the previous Nitro when Rath laid out um, Glacier and Canyon, right? That is correct. That's where this is. Yes. Um, so Wrath seemingly turned heel there, came in as a face in this match, and seemingly turned towards the end. Um, that was that just me that picked up on that, or is that? No, I agree completely. Because, okay, so that's what confused me. Like I said at the start, this actually is not a bad match as such, but. Yeah, they didn't. It, let me draw my performing arts uh, student days. I didn't get Rath's motivation. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. When I was reading my Nitro notes, my notes for Glacier in, in the match on Nitro was I didn't realize this guy was still employed. Um, and. Yeah, I've so I'm just not sure why 
people were expected to care about this match. Well, let's be fair, Wrath is was here still recently over. Not anymore, but we'll get on we'll we'll come to that later, I'm sure. Oh, we but, will. We will. But yeah, no, Wrath was still reasonably over here, so the people were, were into the match. It was actually for an opening match, it wasn't a bad opening match. It's just Glacier in a nineteen ninety-eight pay-per-view match. It's just like, is that the best you could do? It's, I've just read out 60 names and at least half of them could have got in this spot and probably been a better opponent for Rath because people, I don't think, really remember Glacier or those who do don't really care about him because he, he's just not been seen in ages. They could have just brought, couldn't they have brought in someone more relevant? Um, Also, I've got something about why is there all this stalling? Because for some reason, I'm guessing Glacier was supposed to come in as a heel, despite him being a face from Nitro. Um, Billy was supposed to be here; he'd be able to tell us if something had happened in Thunder. Um, I neglected this month because I because I thought he was going to be here with us. Unfortunately, um, but did I miss something on Thunder that would explain why they they seemingly switch roles from the Nitro to the pay per view? You're asking the wrong guy here when it comes to Thunder yeah. it. Come on. I do I do have a life away from here, you know. <laughs> it might not seem like it at times, but I do. <laughs> Sorry, just, we, I'm just going to pick my jaw up off the floor right now. <laughs> Take your work home with you and all that. Yes, okay. I actually work in IT, not uh, not wrestling podcasting. I'm sure that's going to shock all our listenership. Yes, let's talk about this match briefly, shall we? Yeah, not much to actually to discuss that there is. It was fine. There was far too much stalling in there, but Roth got the win, which he needed to do. He struggled in this match, though. Roth, make no mistake. Not that that in any way should be any form of defence for what happened to him the next day, which I'm sad to say we will get to. But yeah, where has Glacier been all this time? You know, they bring him back again. Apparently, he's got yet another new move, but he's still just sub-zero. He was sub-zero two years ago. And I've got to be honest, even the summer of 1996, Mortal Kombat references were a little bit on the dated side. I know the game's still going now, but it was Mortal Kombat for the Mega Drive or Genesis for our friends in the United States. And that was it. Here we are in 98 and we're still talking about it. And you had Tony going back over their history when they were doing all the Masters of the Universe stuff last year. I didn't really need reminding of any of that stuff, but it was fine. The right person won and he had one more day in the sun until... Until... Video package on Brett. Well, once again, they try to play him as if he is some sort of 400-pound marauding monster. He conducts his interview parts in front of a hockey goal mouth because, you know, he's Canadian and that. We shouldn't love DDP because he covers himself in tattoos and they are just the sign of being a punk. Finger on the pulse, Mr. Hitman Hart there. Tonight, he is going to make an example of, oh yes, the scum, Diamond Dallas Page. Oh my God, it's catching. Next match is Stevie Ray versus Conan. Uh, straight into this one, and why not? Stevie starts out with big clubbing blows. I rather suspect that's how he will finish up, too. Conan catches him with a boot and clothesline out of the corner, and then just stomps on Stevie a bit. Abdominal stretch applied already. That goes nowhere, so let's just get back to the clubbing. Hard clothesline gets two. Conan gets thrown to the outside, so Vincent can remind himself he's here via some soft strikes. Chin lock is on again, and I fear the tone for the night might well be set by those. After an age, Conan gets a backslide on for a flash two, but he is soon sent back down to the mat. Conan recovers, and after an Irish whip battle, Vincent accidentally nails Stevie with a slapjack off the reversal. 
For some reason, this vexes Conan, who then just punches Stevie over and over and over until the lame, cheap uh, DQ is called. Booker comes in to raise his brother's hand, but Ray only wants to be part of the NWO. Adam, I'm not a fan of DQ finishes in general, but it's skin crawling when somebody has the bell cord on them just because they're kicking too much ass. I'm going to just going to quote what I have written in my notes. So my first note is, so no LWO, because they're building a feud with Conan and the LWO, which is kind of laughable because that would insist, that would insinuate that the LWO are getting elevated to feud with a Wolfpack member, um, which is ridiculous because this is WCW and, you know, that would involve some form of career progression for someone who hasn't worked for the WWF. Um, <laughs> Get away. Uh, the next note is just the words, I don't like these two. And the final note I have written here is bullshit match, bullshit finish. I'm not sure if I can expand on those with with any more detail than, than I've got written there. This was just unnecessary. There's, um, you know, it was, it was a match that no one really needed to see uh, and a finish that no one wanted to see. Um, and again, it plays into what I was saying earlier about how they seemingly re- remembered that they had a pay-per-view with a big battle royal and forgot to book the undercard. Because this is just a case of, well, the two NWO sides are feuding. Um, let's just pick two people at random. That's what it felt like to me. Um, and maybe they see, maybe they just picked Stevie Ray because they want to do something with him and Booker, um, which is fine but i feel kind of bad for booker because stevie ray really is just dragging down everything he's involved in um he was probably the worst part of the worst war games match in history a couple of months ago um and that's the most positive thing i have to say about him um that and his finisher is the most weak looking currently out there um, and when you're considering the rock seems to be transitioning towards the people's elbow, uh, that's a lot. I've been doing this show for three years now. There are lots of things I would like to erase, but I'm going to keep them there for posterity. I'm now in charge. I could go back and re-edit them if I wanted to, but we do this show warts and all. So I'm going to keep in from the March 1996 ECW show where I said, and I quote, I think Conan is really, really good. In the two and a half years, I have made what Gorilla Monsoon would call a 360, on my opinion, and I now share very much what Bret Hart said in the November 21st on the Calgary Sun. Having to face Conan twice in 10 days, I was trying to wrestle scientific, but after a while, it's sort of catch-as-catch-can with a guy who hasn't seen a bar of soap in so long This his gear stands up on its own. God, bloody hell, Bret, zing, man. If I have to wrestle him again, I'll demand that it's written in the contract that he be de-loused. <laughs> Maybe Brett is getting the hang of this heel thing after all. But yes, this match was pants between two really pants workers. They're trying to build further tension between Stevie and Booker, but nobody's really into it. Stevie just hasn't got the chops to make us care. I mean, neither of them are anything on the mic, but I think people at least want to actually see Booker. Stevie offers absolutely nothing. He's in the NWO purely for the sake of something to do. He's never involved in any of their big angles or, in, or any of their medium-sized ones, really. He's just... 
just bumming around with Virgil, Vincent, Mike Jones, whatever you want to call him. And Conan is just complete chopped liver these days. He offers nothing in the ring other than his stupid underlay or whatever it is. I don't know what even as he says. Was it Ariba Larazza and Baldi, Baldi, Rowdy, Rowdy? And that awful music video we've seen twice on Nitro this particular month. This was pants and it was just... Yeah, go on. I was just saying, I was actually going to ask you what, what your thoughts were on that. I think I've just made those very, very clear indeed. You know, the music video. Quite Shakespearean. And I say this stuff isn't Shakespeare. Conan himself has proved it. Everything you could ever wish to hope for. The opening line of uh, Shakespeare's Twelfth Twelfth Night is, if music be the food of love. Play on. Okay. Um, You're comparing him to Porcino now. Okay. Well, I I wouldn't say play on. I'd I'd instead say... um, Music be the food of love. Remember, you always got to throw away with the rappers. <laughs> I think they call what he was doing system up with the top down. I think that's what they call it. And that. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, think before I embarrass myself still further, we should move on. Stevie Ray sucks. Conan sucks. And this was, as you rightly say, before big battle royal pay-per-view fodder, which nobody had any right to care about. On that topic, you might say, we have a special challenge tag team match with the Cat and Sonny Ono against Kaz Hayashi and Saturn. This one came together on Thunder as well, <laughs> apparently. Cat and Kaz start out, and we are still doing the five-second deal. Kaz tags in Saturn as that goes on, and then the Cat bails as soon as he turns around. Kaz back in with some nice kicks until he gets caught in a slam, and there's our first full-arm dragon twist of the night. Stomps on the ground again. The agents are not in imaginative mood tonight. And another slam before Sonny is in. His kicks only serve to help bring Hayashi to his feet and his offer of money doesn't go far. After one kick, he scurries out to make the tag and we're back to Cat and Saturn. They exchange strikes in the corner until Cat gets in a leg sweep as Saturn attempts a kick. Okay, that was quite neat. Cat demands Sonny get in and then kicks once before trying to tag out. Cat wants none of it though and sends Sonny in to take an STF. He does though break it up before Ono taps. He does come in after Kaz does and grinds his face a little until Sonny gets some cheap back leg round kicks. Oh. Kaz hits a jaw jacker and Saturn is back in again with a belly to belly and a T-bone. He is about to take down the suddenly legal Sonny, but out of the rescue, Cat lands a kick to the back of the head, Ono ending up on top to get his team the win and extend his own undefeated record, Adam. Sonny Ono, the undefeated record in World Championship Wrestling right now. Doesn't that just roll off the tongue? Out of all the win streaks, Nash chose to win. This wasn't one of them. <laughs> uh, right, I'm going to take you back uh, to Nitro two weeks two weeks before this pay per view, just briefly. Um, Kaz faced um, Juventud Guerrero. Yes. When Kaz uh, came out, the little graphic came up along the bottom of the screen. Kaz Hayashi, accompanied by Sonny Ono. Sonny Ono turned on Kaz about three weeks before that. Now, I'm not saying WCW don't care. That sign did it for me. Um, But the fact is that that sign said WCW doesn't care about this guy. Why should I care about this guy? Um, My my main note from this, uh, from the pay-per-view match is how far has Saturn fallen? Um, Trouble is, I then watched Nitro the next uh, night and realised not as far as he can because <laughs> he just see he just seemed like a partner that was uh, thrown in here because he had nothing 
else to do before the Battle Royal. And now he's the main focus of the feud because, like I said, WCW seemingly have no interest in carrying on with Taz Hayashi. Um, given the way they've treated him in this feud, I'm not sure if that's a bad thing. But it just means it's a bad thing for Savage because that's Saturn even. Um, because it... Because when I first WCW show I did, uh, Saturn was on a massive high. He just had that awesome match against Raven where they broke up the flock, and they have done progressively, I'd say progressively less, but that would, but you know, having two weeks of solid matches followed by six of nothing, it's not really progress, it's oh, it, it's literally falling off a cliff. Um, and now he's being stuck in a feud with Cat and Sony Ono. Um, in matches that no one wants to see because oh, because Cat the Cat all this stuff just looks ridiculous. He he may well be a three time uh, karate world champion, but he looks like some guy yeah who has no idea what he's doing. That's pretending to be a karate world champion. Um. And Sonny Ono is, he may well be a trained fighter as well, but doesn't look like it when he's in the ring. Um, yeah, this should have just been Kaz picking up the win and just us forgetting, even if it was only over Ono, and just this being forgotten about. Instead, it's Kaz being forgotten about and Saturn being dragged down by a result of having to feud with these two clowns. I think um, yeah yeah go on go on. No, I'm just saying there's yeah I I don't really have anything else to add to that actually no. No, that's fine. Yeah, I think this is really it really exemplifies to me why aware really exemplifies to me that WCW's roster is too stacked. Okay, you have Kaz Hayashi, who I would put in the promising category based on what I see him. He's had some fine singles matches on TV. I thought his match with Hooventude a couple of weeks ago before this pay-per-view was very good indeed. He's done some nice work before that as well. And Saturn is better than fine. I'm not sure I'd go that much higher than him. I think he does pale into comparison with a lot of their other workers. But he's still pretty darn good. Okay. Both of whom, for different reasons perhaps, they do not deserve to be associated with this nonsense, which is purely there for the gratification of one E. Bishop Esquire. He's got the cat, a three-time karate champion, Sonny Ono, who of course does karate because, you know, he's Japanese, Eric Bischoff, who has been a black belt in karate for 20 years. That is the only reason any of this stuff exists on the roster. But of course, it is why we have to see it week after week. And it is also the reason why the cat wins week after week. Because he is Eric Bischoff in, I suppose you could call it a vicarious thrill, if you want to let that one hang in the air just for a second. Do you know how um, Eric Bischoff and the cat met? Go on. Legitimately, before signing with WCW, cat had never wrestled. He was the karate instructor of Eric's kid. (laughs) Oh, my word. Uh, if there was ever any proof that it's just a case of it's not what you know, it's who you know, that was it. And people have a go at DDP for having the temerity of living two doors away from Bischoff. This is a hundred times worse, if that is true, I tell you. And I be- trust me, I believe it. <laughs> oh, that is awful. But 
not surprising, par for the course, if you will. Match was rubbish, and yes, Sonny Ono. The juggernaut just rolls on and on. Can anybody stop this man? Now we have Kidman versus Hooventude. Now we have Kidman versus Hooventude for the Cruiserweight title. Or maybe we don't, because Gene spots an LWO shirt around Hoovy's neck. Eddie makes a sudden appearance to tell us that Guerrero has seen the light. Ray is here now, and he begins to understand what is going on. It is in the best interest of the LWO that Hoovy is the champion, says Eddie. He tells Ray he needs to learn what sacrifice is all about. They go to the back. They go to the back to discuss it, and now the match can begin, but not before Ray saying he's going to do something about this. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yes, that was the full extent of the Hoover to Guerrero face. Uh, Hoover to Guerrero heel turn. Everybody just having an LWO shirt draped around his neck. But given he doesn't speak a word of English, I think we can give them a pass on this one. Right, let's talk about the match. Kidman Hooventude for the Cruiserweight title. Boy, a lot of notes. We're off with some arm ringers and reversals and fast bridges. Guerrero with a knockdown and straight into some stiff strikes in the middle of the ring. Big rocket dropper by Hooventude, and he taunts the crowd because that's what heels do, isn't it? Flying head scissors and, and excuse me, flying head scissors and a beauty, but he then gets met with a great sit-up powerbomb. Guillotine leg drop for a close two count. Flying roll up by Hooventude for two, and then his own short powerbomb. Snapmare and chin knock applied by Hoovy, who according to the commentary team is trying to slow things down. Kidman rallies though, and he just lays in a clothesline straight off the ropes. Up to the top now, but JG's tornado DDT is half blocked, so he switches to a neck snap whilst landing on the floor outside. Oh yes. Missile dropkick hits back for Kidman, and that gets him a two. Flying crossbody to the outside by Kidman, and they aren't really winning the crowd over with this stuff, which is a bloody shame. A runner on the apron by JG with no real transition doesn't help there, and both guys fell rather awkwardly on that one. The front row offer up a very lot. A very half-hearted Hoovy sucks chance as we head back into the ring for a lateral press and a two. A great brain buster gets the same score. Springboard dropkick sends Kidman back to the outside and that means Air Hoovy is about to take off. Guerrero hits his own guillotine leg drop but hurts himself in the process, but he does still get a two count off it. Kidman ends up in one of the other of our three rings and Hoovy then goes for a double springboard dropkick. He slipped on the second jump but just recovered enough to complete the move. Kidman with a hope charge into the corner, but he eats Buckle. He is able to fight up, though, and crotch JG on it, and then reverse Rana's him back into another ring. Huge body press off one set of ring buckles to another gets a long two, and the crowd did not like that. Backdrop balances him over another set of ropes, and then Hoovy hops across into a Rana, also from ring to ring, but that only gets one, the kick out of disrespect. Hoovy driver is reversed once, but not twice. Yes, he can't cover. He does get up first, though, and the 450 could be coming. No, not yet, because Kidman moves. Hoovy lands on his feet and goes straight into a Rana, but that's worthy of a two-count only. He slaps the ref, which will cost him $5,000, and then Kidman blocks a powerbomb, which we're seeing quite a lot of lately, for a two. Wheelbarrow slam, and then he drags Hooven two to the corner. No shooting star press, though, because Jay is up. Ray sneaks down to ringside and holds onto Kidman's waist, which sees Hooventu's Rana attempt result in him hitting the mat. Kidman, is, Kidman can then hit the 450 for the win and the title. The LWO come to ringside to demand that Ray give them an answer, which he does by taking off the LWO shirt and hightailing it to the back. Ah, Adam, that's more like it, isn't it, eh? Yeah, it was. this is the sort of matches I expect from a WCW undercard. Uh, you know, some great cruiserweight action going on here. Um, 
yeah, it, it's just a shame that you know it was sandwiched in between what it was sandwiched in between. Yeah. Um, uh, I just a couple of small qualms, but nothing really. Main one being um, Hoovy has just turned heel, but he still wrestled. In not so much as a face, but in a way that's very easy to get behind because it's quite an exciting style. So maybe he should think about turning that down. Um, but then again, I think that's just a translation between uh, the Mexican style and everything else because I think for everyone in Mexico wrestles kind of like that when they're the sort of size of him. Um, the interference from Ray seemingly happened right in front of the referee, but maybe that's just me looking much into it. Also, this was supposed to be Hoovy versus Ray. Um, is the only, only explanation we get Eddie saying it's for the best, or was there something on uh, Thunder before this? Do we know? I no, I keep asking this a lot. <laughs> As, tumbleweed, tumbleweed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because on Nitro, when Kidman dropped the belt, they said that he was due to face Ray at the pay per view. Yes. Um, it's just where my thought was going. But, but I mean, this is just, yeah, solid cruiserweight match, the sort of match you expect from the, these guys. Uh, the sort of match would be nice to have last month, but let's not uh, open that can of worms again. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's the same, same things I could say about. Uh, Every sort of WCW cruiserweight match, um, the LWO things seems to be uh, seems to be a good idea at least. I'm liking what what they're doing here, um, especially with Ray being like a reluctant member. Uh, that's especially in the upcoming Nitros. That's certainly played out interest uh, in some interesting ways. I feel. Uh, just uh, the trouble is they look to be going with a feud with Conan, which, as I stated earlier. <laughs> that's just that would hint that they're gonna feud with Conan, who's a member of the Wolf Pack, which would mean that they'd be feuding the LWO would be forming with the Red End, feuding with the Red NWO, which is blatantly not gonna happen because, like I said, career progression in WCW just don't work like that unless you're obviously friends with Eric Bischoff, as we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but a tremendous match, no doubt. It is. It was. It was a great match. It was indeed. I think these two, if there was an award at the end of the year, coming up next month, fans, which TV worker of the year was on the agenda, and I'd be hard-pressed not to give it to both of these guys. I think Kidman, since he turned face at 4 Brawl, he's been in a match on Nitro almost every week, and for the 10, 50 minutes he gets, he absolutely brings it. He's deserved to have his two title runs. He is somebody who should be a babyface. Not that he was <laughs> not that he particularly sucked as a heel, far, far from it. It's, he's somebody the crowd wants to cheer, which does bring me on to, as you touched on there quite rightly, Adam, that Humantu Guerra doesn't need to be a heel, really. I wish he hadn't joined the LWO. I know we talked about it last month, that the LWO is giving these, giving these guys actually something to really do rather than just being middle of the second hour trapeze artist fodder, and I really do like that. But that doesn't mean you have to have everybody in there. I know, okay, you're having Ray being the sole voice, but even he is still a member of the LWO. It might be reluctant, but he's still actually there. And if Eddie just does sponge up every single Mexican luchador, then I don't really see any point in them existing. 
Because don't forget, the whole point of the old WO at the moment, it hasn't really developed in the last few weeks. It's only really there so they can get paid in the storyline. And I'm not sure that's motivation enough, but we'll see how it goes. Eddie is still more than holding his own on the mic with this one. So hopefully it will develop a little bit. But yes, a tremendous match. On pay-per-view, these two perhaps try to do just a tad much. I think the three or four moves from ring to ring might well have been one too many. Hoovy is still, especially now as, as he's a heel, he needs to tone this down. Maybe just a tad eager to please when he's got a bit bit more time on his hands. He very nearly botched a couple of things here, which he really shouldn't have done. I mean, for him, a springboard dropkick should be as easy as just getting up in the morning, and he nearly messed it up. So he just needs to watch that. But maybe being a heel will help ground him just a little bit while still relying on his real high-flying moves when he needs them. So you can use it to keep the crowd interested, but not to pop them. But yes, high quality stuff here with a great finish, which got the crowd back into it. They were drifting in and out of this match, which I thought was interesting. And as I said in the play-by-play, rather unfair. But these two have been two of the best pure workers of the year. And I'm glad they've been given some chance to shine on pay-per-view as well as on TV. But if you did give this pay-per-view a miss, definitely check this one out because these two guys are doing some great stuff at the moment. In amongst a lot of dross, as you say, he was dumped in the middle of the card. This stuff is it could easily be forgotten, but it shouldn't be. It's not fair on these two. They are tremendous. Two of my favourite workers of the year and two of the best as well. Well played, guys. Well played indeed. Okay, now we have two matches which were announced to the pay-per-view, well, the prospective pay-per-view audience. So remember, people, what I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to do this in all one big blurb. It happened when everybody's money had been taken both in the arena and watching on pay-per-view. Scott Steiner versus Rick Steiner with special NWO official. Rick doesn't come out to his music because members of the NWO are destroying his right arm. Officials come to his rescue, but the giant then drags him to ringside. The match starts with the NWO's own referee in charge, and Rick is actually able to hit a few clotheslines with his one good arm and the ref for good measure. The Duragur low blow gets momentum back for the heels, and now Scott can just hammer away. Recliner is slapped on, and here's Goldberg? Remember what I said earlier about them not really knowing what to do Goldberg with him as champion? A few token punches do nothing, but a spear sure does. A chair shot by Buff always ain't going to sway the big fella, so he and Scott do a runner, allowing the NWO ref to take the shoeing. The segment ends with Goldberg calling Rick the man. I repeat, the segment ends with Bill Goldberg, WCW champion, calling Rick Steiner the man. Yes, everybody, it took place in that order. Then we hear a very very vocal young fan who would much rather see, and I quote, Goldberg, get back in there. But that's not going to happen now, little one. These are the real stars, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. You will get Eric Bischoff, though, because he's one too. And his survey says, get him. The NWO follow the boss's orders and attack Scott Hall. Until his supposed opponent, Nash, runs down to the ring. (laughs) <laughs> runs, and then fights them off. They stand tall as a very loud outsider's chant goes up. After a pause for thought, Hall holds up the click fingers, but Nash won't do it. All is not forgiven just yet. So yeah, Adam, that was 20 minutes of excellent storyline stuff, which I would really like to see on an edition of Monday Nitro. Uh, directions for Goldberg, as in does he have one? Um... He had something going on with Jericho, but that seems to have stopped, um, despite the fact he's not doing anything on this pay-per-view. And Jericho 
again is in a thrown together match. Obviously, you've got the Bam Bam thing we've mentioned. Uh, obviously, Bam Bam is in storylines, is not contract and stuff. Uh, and the previous Nitro is the match that got uh, cancelled due to TV time. So, surely he would have done something there. But he's got so many people coming at him from so many different angles. You kind of think, well, they've got all these opponents for him, but they don't seem to be lining them up in any sort of logical order. And somehow that results in him just not doing anything, which is... So it was confusing just seeing him sharp here. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but the whole point of Goldberg is he's not one of the boys, so why is he running in to help one of the other guys? It's... Uh, it's it's what actually it's exactly what you were saying earlier about they don't seem to know what to do with this guy, um, which is weird because he's a monster. You just smash him over everyone until you can find a heel who can you can build up as his uh, antithesis. It should be fairly simple. They were doing it fine at a point, but they just. Once they've put the belt on him, they just don't seem to know where to go with him. Um, as evidenced by the fact that since he's won the belt, he's had two pay-per-views where he's just not done anything. The Hall v. Nash thing, very, very quickly, was a TV angle. I think this was actually very counterproductive for the reaction to Nash's victory in the pay-per-view semi-main event, which we will get to after Chris Jericho versus our resident Bradshaw impersonator, who, of course, is the WWF's resident Stan Hansen impersonator, Bobby Duncan Jr. A couple of lockups end in a stalemate until Duncan wins one. Jericho runs to the protective arms of his head of security, who is now known as Ralphus. A leg takedown by Jericho, which Duncan didn't seem to be expecting, and now a bow and arrow. Arm ringer and a clothesline by Duncan, and Jericho is off again. Big suplex backing from the apron for a one count. Yet another rear chin lock. See, I told you. As the commentators try to put this lunk over. Big Boot sends Jericho down and then a somewhat dodgy clothesline. Jericho takes a fan's drink and then hits a flying clothesline on his, of his own after tossing it in Bobby's face. We hurry back in and the missile dropkick is good for a two. His own chin lock is on now, but he actually works it with the knee lodged into Junior's back. BD fights out and gives us the pleasure of the devastating shoulder breaker that only gets two. It's a miracle. Cross arm breaker is on, but the Lionheart reaches the ropes with consummate ease. Stun gun puts Junior down, and there's the patented apron dropkick. Hard shot to the steps, and there's come on, baby. One day, that's getting a win. Standing surfboard for a while, and then a spinning sidekick and a boot across the throat that straps Bobby in the corner. Irish whip, but he fights back with a clothesline and some reverse knife edges. Gorilla press slam and another clothesline reminds me of someone I know, as the pin attempt is a two count. Tree slam and bridging pin also only get a two. Jawbreaker and lion salt by Jericho, again, a two count each. Sent on, but he wastes time blowing kisses to the fans so Duncan can catch him on the ropes for a superplex. Jericho rolls out with the old standing switch into the line tamer position, but those big legs aren't going round. Middle rope elbow for a two. He goes for an atomic drop or something, but Ralphus holds Jericho's leg. Bobby turns his attentions to Ralphus, but with the ref distracted, Jericho can get the TV belt and whack the big guy in the head to get the victory. Adam, Chris Jericho, going 15 minutes on pay-per-view. With Bobby Duncan Jr. Nope. Um. Yeah, I I I seem to have a slightly higher opinion of this guy than you do. He's 
he's not. <laughs> that's, that's not hard. Amazing. That's not hard. Okay. He's, I mean, he's not anything amazing, but for whatever reason, they're trying to push him. But it did seem weird that you know he they were hyping up his debut for like the whole Nitro up until his match, and his first match is a title match. Um, I you compared him to Bradshaw. I think he is mildly better than Bradshaw, but that's just my opinion. I repeat, um, that's not hard. I. Would have had Goldberg going up against Jericho. Yes, it might not be realistic for Goldberg to sell for Jericho in a straight one-on-one match, but Jericho is not uh, a clean-cut good guy. He is a sneaky, cheating baby face. Not baby, sneaky, cheating heel even. And so he, you don't expect him to, to play it down the line. You expect him to cheat. You expect him to create obstacles for Goldberg to overcome um, because um, no one's expecting Jericho to be the guy that beats Goldberg what they, people want is they want people to see Jericho be beaten by Goldberg cleanly and decisively but I don't know, he's only a year into the business and was as far as I'm aware not really a fan before of that so maybe he, he, uh, he doesn't quite get that concept yet but it's it's a shame because um, it would have given us something more interesting on this undercard than what's been offered so far. I would much rather see a two-minute Jericho defeat at the hands of Goldberg than a 15-minute Jericho victory against Bobby Duncan Jr. I can tell you that for nothing. I think more That's people good. would want. I think more people would want to see it as well. And it I would. I think that. I think that Jericho. could have sold extra. I, that that could have got you. Um, a sizable amount of extra buys, you know, it, people are like, well, it might not go long, but we're going to see yeah, the little snake get speared out of his boots. Goldberg doesn't even need to sell for him. You could just have it spear Jack Hammer good night. That's not going to hurt Jericho, for goodness sake. Contract issues or no contract issues. I would not buy that as a burial. I really, really wouldn't. He could talk his way around it the next day. Having to go 15 minutes with the greener's grass at least 15 years out of date, nothing like Bobby Duncan Jr. Now that is punishment, in my opinion. And it's not something anybody wanted to see. I mean, nobody's getting behind Bobby Duncan Jr. I think you made a very good point there about the kind of character he is. And he does strike me as somebody they're having around because he can put WCW back into their comfort zone. The sort of character you could expect to see on NWA worldwide in 1986, 1987. All the work that Bischoff wanted to do to turn them away from being a Southern wrestling promotion and taking them national. And now they're bringing in characters like this. It leads me to think that to some degree, they're kind of, if not giving up the fight, then the wind's been taken out of their sails just once too often and they're not really striking back the way they should. I mean, Bobby Duncan Jr. is not going to turn their fortunes around. Somebody like Chris Jericho, if he really gets the chance to do so, he could which is why I really do hope for WCW's sake that he does sign his contract very soon. But with him losing the TV title to Conan shortly after this, writing could be on the wall, which for WCW is a major worry because Jericho is one of the biggest stars, and I don't use that word lightly, stars they've got. Okay, so much like the Royal Rumble, our World War III match is not the main event. They have tweaked the rules slightly. There are three ways to eliminate somebody. You can throw them out of the ring, including through the ropes. You can pin them, or you can make them submit. 
Now, to the best of my knowledge, 58 of the 59 eliminations were actually over the top rope, with one going through. More on that in a second. Thankfully, no pins and no submissions. What a stupid idea. But yes, once again, 60 men, three rings, 20 men in each for three. And then when they're all cleared down, they all step into the main ring for what is a bog-standard battle royal. And I am stalling because everybody... Adam did it earlier, so I and myself are going to read through all 60 names just one more time. Participating in the World War Three match were Bobby Blaze, Alex Wright. I got that the wrong way around on the order. Never mind. Barry Darcel, Chavo Guerrero Jr., Chip Minton, me neither. Chris Adams, Chris Benoit, Seacolpay, Damian, Perry Saturn, The Disciple, Disco Inferno, Eddie Guerrero, El Dandy, The Giants, Hector Garza, Horace Hogan, the aforementioned Chris Jericho, who came out looking exhausted, which I really liked. Booker T, Roth, Ernest Miller, Scott Steiner, Scott Norton, Scott Hall, Scotty Riggs, Ray Mysterio Jr., Barry Horowitz, Bobby Eaton, Stevie Ray, Billy Kidman, Herman Tukawera, Psychosis, Dean Malenko, Steve McMichael, Kaz Hayashi, Lex Luger, Conan, Canyon, Kevin Nash, Johnny Swinger, Rage, Chaos, Scott Putsky, Silver King, Super Callow, Tokyo Magnum, Van Hammer, Piano Five, Vincent, Kendall Wyndham, La Parker, Lenny Lane, Mike Enos, Lizbach Jr., Lodi, Norman Smiley, Prince Iakea, Buddy Lee Parker, Glacier, and Haku. Ah, oh, sorry, force of habit there. So yes, there are your 60 participants in this match. And I'm pleased to say that there is now a helpful counter in the bottom left of our screen telling us how many people are left in which I will certainly take over the triple feature screen split thing we had for the previous three years. Don't expect play-by-play -play for this one for the first 40 men. So some potted highlights, if you will. Poor old Norman Smiley is the first to go, and Nash is throwing him out like it's Providence in January 1994. We get down to 40 very quickly, and of all the eliminations we do miss, we are lucky enough to see Van Hammer toss out Mike Enos. And then Nash does for him, and he is all alone in ring three having a nice rest for about 10 minutes. Well, I'm shocked. The commentary team are stunned that Hogan isn't in this thing. Hall, fall away, slam psychosis out for a very nasty elimination. That didn't look safe at all. Stevie and Booker refused to work together. Horace and Disciple eliminate each other in a hokey as hell double clothesline spot. The crowd come alive when everybody in ring one tries to get the giant out, but he shrugs them all off. We're down to 21 and we tease that Hall will go, but he hangs in there, but Ray falls out. So now everybody is into ring two. The Cat and Saturn immediately eliminate one another, which Tony completely misses. Body pressed by Charbo sends he and Alex out. And then Eddie and Disco are tossed. Eddie and Disco are tossed. They all stand around together so that Giant can throw Kidman onto them to send him out. I bloody hate that. The fans erupt for Nash and Giant going at it, but nobody else is going out just yet. All of the active horsemen are still in, as is Roth. Everybody just does the lazy lean for a while until Hall and Nash team up to take on the Giants and then try to put him over the top. No, not yet. Lex backdrops Stevie to the outside. 12 left. Mongo sends Norton out, but then Nash throws him out straight afterwards. 10 remaining. Roth goes off camera, which is a bad sign, but you ain't seen nothing yet. And then Bam Bam bursts through the crowd and gets into the ring. Everybody has a pop at him until security do their bit. And then Goldberg comes along and gets to do his. Scott Steiner is done as the big two finally get separated. 
Booker is out as we're now down to Giant, Hall, Malenko, Benoit, Luger, Conan and Nash. K-Dog charges at Hall, but the medium-sized man ducks and he is finished. Nash calls everyone to try and get the Giant out again, but he keeps fighting them off. Fourth attempt, though. Fourth attempt. They do it. The Wolfpack watch the Horseman attack Hall until he sees an opening. Then they help and Benoit and Malenko go quickly. Three to go now. Nash stands in the corner and lets his buds bring the fight to him. And there's no love lost between any of them. Luger kicks Hall a bit, but then Nash tries to lift him up over. Instead, he goes down after the bionic forearm. Hall gets the same treatment. Rack for Scott, but Nash is up with a kick. Hall topples over the top rope. And then after what looks like an unplanned struggle to me, Luger follows. Nash wins to what to my ears is a fairly lukewarm pop, especially due to this being essentially a hometown crowd. But he is off to face Goldberg for the title at Starcade. Oh, there we go. Take a drink, take a drink. Adam, we will talk about what this means for Kevin Nash a little bit later on. But for now, talk about how you think this match went and indeed your overall opinions on the World War III concept. Because apparently, according to both the Observer and the Torch, we won't be seeing one next year. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the last few times they tried doing this on a triple split screen. Is that, is that um, right? The, the three previous years they did. Uh, for the first two years, I believe they had three separate commentary teams as well, including in 96, dear old Lee Marshall taking a bump. But here, one commentary team on one set of cameras. That was... Someone obviously sat down and watched the last couple and were like, hmm, that's not right. Because... I, I, when we spoke about this last month, you said, yeah, they did. And that was a set they used in the past. I remember just thinking, oh, this is going to cause me a headache. And but no, they actually had it all set up where it was just quite. It was going from one to the other, and you even had at the bottom which which ring you were looking at. And it was like <laughs> and that was really well set up, um, and I found it really easy to follow. Um, Nash. Uh, like you said, reminiscent of uh, of that rumble back in '94, where where he just eliminated so many people at once. Um, only people sort of know who he is this time around. One one note I do have is, I think it says a lot that the NWO black and white weren't anything to do with the finish this match. How the mighty have fallen, eh, over the past couple of years. Very interesting. You know, it's, um, you know, it's, everything is branded WCW NWO, yet the original NWO did not play into the finish in the slightest. Um, does that does that mean that they're slowly fading away? My fingers are across here, and I I know it's a podcast, but believe me, they they are. We could only um, hope. We could only hope. Yeah. Uh, are we going to go into the ram, uh, the run-in done by Bam Bam Bigelow? No, go, go, go ahead. By all means. I, I don't know. I just found it funny because I noticed that he was wearing street clothes and wrestling boots. Uh-huh. Don't know why. <laughs> that, that made me smile. Um, but yeah, and I've got... Uh, so yeah, Gold uh, did a run when I guess he made a lot more sense in the Sino one because obviously this is beside his number one contender, so why wouldn't he be watching? So yeah, he he did a run into 
uh, fight Bam Bam, which, although it took away from the attention of what was going on in the ring, not a lot was, I don't think, was going on at that time, so it didn't matter. A couple of brilliant eliminations. Uh, I think it was Psychosis who got all the way slammed by Scott Hall. Oh, that, that was nasty. <laughs> no give there. And yeah, and also you had uh, Canyon, he sort of set up uh, Kidman on the top rope, and Kidman just backdropped him yes. in a spot that really could have been gnarly had they done it any different. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I was just sort of went into this expecting a big clusterfuck and I was actually pleasantly surprised all, there, was all, there was a good flow to it you know, none, none of the big spots got in the way of any of the action um, and they all sort of happened far enough apart so it wasn't just a case of oh now this, then this, then this but also uh, not so close together so they just sort of ran into one another uh, yeah I think they actually seem to have found, uh, they seem to have got this one clicking, uh, which makes it almost a shame they're not doing it next year. Although I guess it makes it, although I guess it makes it slightly easier on whoever's the rookie doing uh, the November show next year. They don't have to read all those names all, all at once. So yeah, whoever you got uh, partnering you on the next, on that show, <laughs> um, you, you, you're in luck, kid. You're in luck. Just you wait now. We're going to have 50, 100, 200 names flooding in to be on this show, knowing they will not have to read out all the names for the World War Three pay-per-view, if indeed it does not happen. I hope for their sake that it actually is put on the agenda very, very late in their corner and put on this show. I have the power to do so. You, abuse of power, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, I think you're right. It was the, this was the best booked, most logically progressed, of the four World War Three matches we have had. They finally ironed out the kinks. They didn't try to show us everything. Yes, we missed a lot of eliminations, but you're going to when there's 60 men in there. There was a story attached to it. The crowd came alive for the big spots. And though it's sticking in my craw to say it because he booked the damn thing, at least here, in the here and now, in November 1998, the right man probably did win of the other people in the battle royal i couldn't really envisage another realistic winner among them hall's already won it and we all know what happened there the giants leaving in a couple of months there's no hogan in this one to claim a victory when he isn't actually eliminated and is actually eliminated and making it all very confusing just for his own ego so there was none of that the problem is in the germ of the concept. I said the crowd came alive for the big spots, but that's because they were quiet for a lot of the rest of the match. And it isn't just that they can struggle sometimes to see what is going on, although, of course, that is a real issue. It's the very obvious fact that if you have a man battle royal for the number one contendership for the world title, everybody knows that at least 50 of the people in there have utterly no chance whatsoever uh, Bobby Blaze, world champion, natural ring to it? No, I didn't think so. At least they dispensed of that by getting them out there very quickly. But in pure kayfabe terms, any of these people could win the number one contendership. Yet what rights do they have to be there? But then if you don't have a 60-man battle royal, on the other side of the coin, 
then you're just having a bog standard 30 or 20 man battle royal, which we see all throughout the year anyway, and the like of which I am extremely tired of. Or you end up just doing their version of the Royal Rumble, which they can't really do. Or, heaven forbid, they bring back the Bunkhouse Stampede. Because let's face it, Dusty has only won it four times. He's probably due a fifth. Yes, I was into this match. I really was. And I did like the eliminations when we got down to about eight or seven. I thought it was tremendous and the crowd were into it. One thing I hated, because they kind of repeated the finish from two years ago when Luger goes for the rack and gets uh, bounced out. It's one of those which sounds good in theory, but it's not in practice. Luca did that thing, which I absolutely loathe, where he falls over the top rope, lands on the apron, and just sort of rolls off. It doesn't look convincing at all. That was a poor elimination. Good idea, not a great execution. But again, well, I thought... That's, that's um, kind Go of like the match you had with uh, Brian Adams on the last Nitro, where they were doing the spot with the chair, and it just... Everything was about that whole finish just looked so wank. Dreadful, oh. dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. I liked Hall being in there right at the very end, but they tied themselves in knots by having Hall and Nash threaten to reconcile and then not do so a bit earlier in the show. I think the fans wanted to see them come together, hence the big outsiders chant earlier on. And that is probably why the pop for Nash wasn't the big one he was expecting. He wasn't booed or anything like it, but he was. it was sort of a relief this match is over cheer as opposed to, yes, our hometown boys were number one contender-type cheer. And Nash was giving it all the whole celebration for a while, and then he just stopped, looked a little bit perturbed, and then just left the ring. He was not planning on doing that, I can assure you. He booked himself to be the homecoming hero. It didn't quite turn out like that, because he didn't give the fans what they wanted 20 minutes or so earlier. But yes, a good battle royal. The right winner. Fairly easy to follow but I can see why they're not doing this next year, if indeed that is the case, because you can't really buy any of these guys as holding the world title. You can say the same about the Royal Rumble as well, and that is a fair argument. But, of course, there you've got staggered entrances. Now, a big name can come in at one. No guarantee he's going to win it. As in kayfabe, a minnow can come in at 29 and 30, and you could kind of see if you really stretch your believability that he could win it. Here, everybody, complete level playing field, no chance in hell. It's been a good idea. They finally got it right. But maybe they're right to lay the idea to rest now. As we say, Kevin Nash moves on to Starcade, which we will discuss in our preview of the big show when we are done with the main event of World War Three, which was Bret Hart versus Diamond Dallas Page for the US title. Kevin Nash is booking WCW. Diamond Dallas Page is also booking WCW. I think they call this one a handshake agreement. DDP starts out hot by leaping onto Brett on the outside, right on the first sounding of the bell. Hard whips the steps and into the ring for a punch battle, which he wins. Hard kicks to the stomach, but Brett drops his neck across the rope to take control for the first time. A Bret Hart sucks chant dies before it can get started, and when a great DDT gets our first two count of the match. The crowd get distracted by a disturbance elsewhere as Page catches the cradle for a two. They reset with a chin lock and the international. I know Bob likes me mentioning that one. Before Page hits a nice swinging neck breaker. He wants the cutter, but Brett escapes. DDP meets him outside and then says hello to the ring steps himself. Russian leg sweep by Brett is one for the checkbox, but he then teases a tombstone. Now that's one for the other, please specify, section. <laughs> but Page counters it for a near four. Backbreaker by Brett and a leg drop for two. Page fights off some slugs in the corner with a nice belly to belly, and that gets two also. Discus Lariat and front pole driver for the same result. 
Both guys spill to the outside again, and there is still little investment from the fans. Brett scurries in and gets the object, but before he can use it, Paige hits a forearm off the top for two. The weapon ends up in the ring and snatched by Robinson, and then Paige puts on the sharpshooter. It's better than Bulldogs, I suppose. Brett is able to twist his body and then reach for the near rope in order to get out of it. See, it's always the little things with this man. He starts working on Paige's injured leg. Hi, Bob. And there's the ring post figure of four. Dallas selling of this onslaught is excellent. A wrench at the leg to the post to follow, and now we are in the ring once more. More work on the leg. <laughs> and the standard figure of four. He holds the ropes for leverage, but Chuck catches him doing so. The best leg work in the business, yes, I put that in myself, is stopped by a counter kick by Paige's good leg, and he then crotches heart on the guardrail. Retribution time as he applies his ring post figure of four, and this one he does make a good job of. After the five count, he gets a chair and payback is you-know-what. Again, the ref stops him, though, and again, Brett retorts with a low blow. He robs the foreign object from Robinson and then just decks Paige. The MWO ref decides to take over, and blah, blah, sharpshooter, blah, blah, no submission, blah, blah, bell rings. Are we really doing this again? Mickey J saw it all, though, and orders a restart. As Hart complains, DDP hits the cutter, and Robinson is revived for the three counts. He celebrates in the audience, but he isn't really being mobbed. And that, Adam, is our main event. What do you think? Uh, do we know what caused the distraction in the start of the match? Uh, dis- well, which one? The the crowd were. Oh uh, no, about how- uh, I couldn't. I couldn't find out. No, uh, some crowd ball, maybe. I don't know. All we do know is that somebody during the Brett Malenko match on Nitro. I got us a show your tits chance from the audience, which I don't believe was connected to the action taking place inside the ring. So there you go. Mm. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> well, after the showing he put in against Sting, I'm relieved that, you know, we've got something of this quality. <coughs> this one. Um, I, was, I was really, you know, that I was really disappointed with that Sting match as I said last time around um and that, yeah he, he you know he, he really brought it here against page him, him and page seems to sort of click together really well um you know i i'm sure mr bamba may may not appreciate this but i think brett working on the leg with this um with this new sort of character he's he's got of uh wiping people out is actually sort of enhances that you know because it's a case of you know it's not just attacking someone with a weapon he's, he's actually trying to break their leg you or, can stay or um or just damage their shoulder as he was trying to do to benoit a couple of weeks ago on, on on nitro um which i thought was brilliant you know i've put i know from experience hammerlocks hurt um the fact that benoit missed a week of television that's believable to me as I've been putting put them by people who don't know how to put in them and still been a little sore a couple of days later. Um, Somebody put you in a hammerlock. I well, actually, it was the other way around, but I'm trying to sound. <laughs> oh, like I, I, was, I was I was waiting I was waiting for that. Yeah, okay. Carry on. Back to the match. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I really. Really into this match. Um, uh, the finish, it's a sharpshooter 
being, you know, a sharpshooter followed by the bell ring, despite the guy not submitting in, in November. I was like, oh, that seems a little familiar because one, it happened at Survivor Series and two, it happened at the previous Survivor Series featuring one of the people in this match. Um, but I I mean, that didn't actually irritate me. That, that actually kind of amused me. Um, and then just to have have the decision overturned, I was like, well, fair is fair. I'm, I do love the whole uh, fact, the whole I can get into the diamond cut from any position and the fact that each of his matches, he seems to try and go out there to prove it. I, I really am digging the DEP character. In fact, you go over all my Nitro notes from the last couple of months. Every time that there's been like a big standoff at the end of a Nitro, I've just put, I could, I could quite happily have Nitro end here. Um, and in fact, when these two faced off the next week on that Nitro, in uh, when Hart called out DD, when Hart called Page out, I was like, the only reason I, I think that shouldn't have been in the end is, is because the only thing that followed that was a world title match. I was like, well, yeah, Page is, is certainly one of the better characters. Um, WCW have right now, and you, I'm really, really warming to them. Um, I hope they've got plans. I was going to say I hope they've got plans beyond the US title for them, which is really, which is a really sad state for the US title, um, considering the the last month they actually seemed to have built it up a lot better than they did last month. Uh, considering last month it just seemed to be uh, on the line because the guy happened to have a match as opposed to because two guys wanted to have a match for the title uh, uh, yeah um, I mean I, I did find it kind of odd that these guys weren't in the battle royal um, but then again the old adage is the US champion should in theory be the number one contender so I'm prepared to let that slide on that basis alone oh, I don't um, think that's happening <laughs> I no I don't but in, but the theory is, one of your when they did the old top tens back in the day, oh, the, yes. US, the US um, title should be generally should be one of the top contenders by the fact that you know it's a secondary belt. Um, then again, by that logic, uh, the TV title should be seen as something of. Uh, of a prestigious prize, it being the tertiary belt, but uh, I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon, given the way they're booking Chris Jericho against whoever the hell they feel like on the day, as pointed out by Raven at full at, um, at the previous pay per view. Yeah, but as, as a match, yeah, I I enjoyed this match. So I'm I'm enjoying every time these two guys sort of face off against each other. They like I said, they've got a natural chemistry that I'm enjoying, um, and I'm I could I could see this sort of draw out a bit longer, uh, especially seeing as how if the last year has taught us anything, it's they've no other idea what to do with Bret Hart, you know, so just sticking with Paige until they've got something better for him, because these guys are, are presenting something in the ring that I'm happy to watch every time. I mean, I've said my piece on Brett many times on this particular show over the last year or so. I don't think they have got anything more in store for him. Although, having said that, on a Nitro after this, he did actually win the US title back from Page. 
despite having a very real groin injury, which is going to keep him out of action for two months. So yes, they had a winner title, even though he can't actually defend it. I think everybody is shouting because WCW at their listening devices right now. And they would have every right to do so as well. <laughs> but this match was really quite good. It's like, Brett just was not at the races at all for his match against Sting last month, which was a huge disappointment. And he's got to carry a lot of the can there. But here he was into this one. I think he appreciates somebody he will just bring effort to the table. I think Brett almost sees that as a bit of a challenge if he's in there with somebody who isn't a technical whiz-bang. And for all of DDP's qualities, nobody could call him that. But Brett thinks, yes, here's somebody who's going to give as good as he gets. I'm going to give my best this time. Because Brett, as great as he has been and as great as he still is, he can be known to phone it in sometimes. He's done it a lot on... Um, uh, does it a lot on house shows. Not completely without doing it on pay-per-view either. Let's, let's be fair about this one. But this was one of those matches. I thought the legwork was exemplary. It played into the match. It wasn't just him doing it for the sake of doing it, as some former correspondents of the show would have you believe, and they would be wrong. Page sold like an absolute champion. And these two just clicked really, really well. And yes, the finish was a real letdown. But again, as I've said on WCW shows all too often, I'm kind of prepared for that now. You're waiting for the bad finish. You're not going to get a 100% clean finish in your pay-per-view main events. I'm not saying that's right. It isn't right by any metric, but you're going to get it. So you might as well just prepare for it and then base your assessment of the match with that taken out of consideration, really. And here they just stole the finish from Austin versus Johnny B. Bad from the June 94 Clash of the Champions. Now they see the heel use a foreign object. They restart the match. And then the face gets a quick in that case, a roll-up, and here is finisher for the three-count right away, which makes everybody look a bit stupid, really. But no, a fine match. You know, I don't know where they go with here again. Page doesn't even have a match scheduled for Starcade right now, which is a concern. Brett's injured. He won't be back until January. I do think that these two having the main event slot, yes, A, that is in part to Page being on the booking team. But B, also, I don't think he's going to get any... He's, necessarily allowed to have any big ideas for himself he's always going to play second fiddle to mr k nash esquire and like i said last month we had a bit of a debate about it adam i couldn't really see ddp wearing the world heavyweight title belt as much as i'd like to be wrong we're a month on now and i think i'm being proved correct again i could see him and brett feuding for the u.s title in perpetuity though these two brett one of the who came in a year ago as the biggest name in, in pro wrestling. We don't need to go into why, but he was in DDP, who's had a tremendous two years in the ring. And they are just both being held down from the very highest peaks, despite one of them having booking power. Now, just think about that one for a second. But a fine, fine match. And I wouldn't necessarily mind seeing these two wrestle each other every month. But if they did, I think we all know deep down what that really really means but that does bring us to the end of the world war three pay-per-view adam your overall thoughts and a score rating out of 10 please um i i was going into this i wasn't sure what sort of rating to give it because like i like i've said a couple of times so far it seems that they had you know the big battle royal match um and forgot to book the rest of the show but some bad finishes um, but there are a couple of good matches uh, worryingly though in the in those good matches is Raph versus Glacial which is 
which isn't so much a surprise as just a surprise that it happened. Um, it's one of those things, it look, you look at the results and it's like, it looks like it should be a bad show, but it's not as bad as it looks on paper, I don't think. Um, there's Steiner stuff was, why is that still going on? Uh, the whole versus Nash stuff was like, do, do, do we really need this? Um, actually, I, as he was going on about it, I remembered they actually did do a video promoting two facing off against each other on one of the nitros. And I just saw it because they didn't actually say that they were having a one on one match. I thought, oh, they're just Nash is just going to be looking for him in the, in the Battle Royal. Um, so yeah, WCW uh, promoting matches on their pay per views as, as well as they, they can, but right there. Um, uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna strike this off. I'm feeling generous today, so I'm gonna strike this at five. Um, yes, there is a lot of stuff that this event could have done without, but uh, the good matches are. are I don't know if they're worth going out of your way for, but if you get a chance to catch and catch the good matches, uh, but to be honest, there's forty minutes in the middle. You can easily just skip over. Yeah, I think I'll stick with a five. I'm going to go for a five and a half, which makes it, I think, off the top of my head, the third highest rated WCW pay-per-view this month, which tells its own story. But I just about was on the right side of enjoying this one. You had one excellent cruiserweight match, which if there's one thing from this show which you haven't seen, I highly recommend checking out. You had... A pretty damn nifty main event between two wily veterans who just know how to get it done. You had a World War Three match. The selling point of this pay-per-view. When people talk about Great Royal Rumble events, they're normally talking about Great Royal Rumble matches. And this was certainly above serviceable, easily the best World War Three one yet. But all of that is in the positive column for it. Yes, we had some bad matches. The first two in particular were nothing. We saw Sonny Ono win again. We had no fewer than two advertised matches, which we didn't get to see. Yes, they had their reasons for doing so, but even so, they did that after they took their patrons' money, which is not acceptable in, in my book. I was just about to say you can't blame the talent for that, but considering who's on the booking team, maybe you can. But I'm going to let it slide. Come out of World War Three in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mike Enos and Luger opens us up. It goes on for longer than you might expect, and definitely than you might want, until the rack seals the win. Goldberg pulls up in a limo, and Nash and Conan do the same right behind him. Some weak banter ensues about being next, for a very inauspicious start to the build. Gene invites Kidman out for some words. He, though, has something to say to Ray. After Eddie gave him the runaround, he is happy to offer Mysterio a title shot tonight. Eddie is here, though, and says the entire LWO contract is legally binding, right down to wearing whatever Guerrero says, including an extra, 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 extra large size LWO shirt. Norman Smiley's reward for going out first in the Battle Royal last night is to lose in short order to Chris Benoit. Here are the Wolfpack. Kev says that he is not yet ready to trust Scott Hall, but latter has to prove his worth. And as for Goldberg, whether we like it or not, he's next. He will be the man to put the one behind the 1-9-0. Canyon wins against the increasingly hapless Tokyo Magnum with the flatliner. 
Bobby Duncan Jr. finally on the right level now. A meaningless contest versus Glacier. He goes over with a full Nelson slam. Oakland brings out the Giant. Kevin Nash knew that he was the man to beat, which is why he fought so hard to get him out of the ring. Deep down, Nash is a chicken. So tonight, the Giant wants to get through Goldberg and then defend the belt against Big Sexy. I think that's what he said. Sutton beats Silver King very handily with the DVD. Ravy Kidman does not disappoint. Eddie and Hoovy sneak out, and while Kidman deals with Guerrero, Guerrero gives Ray the driver. Kidman is oblivious and heads for Shooting Star to win. Bishop is out and wants to settle this thing with Flair once and for all. Flair accepts the courtesy of the boss standing out here eye to eye with him, but Ted Turner has made some mistakes along the way, and Eric is one of them. Bischoff brushes that off and calls out Wyndham to knock Flair flat on his ass. Flair disagrees with that because of tradition, but Bischoff has the power. He then cheap shots Rick, but the Nature Boy easily kicks his ass, until Wyndham does come to the boss rescue. He and the NWO beat the tar out of a 13-time world champion and the rest of the horsemen. Conan Booker T ends when Stevie interferes, supposedly on his brother's behalf. Booker can handle his own battles, but Stevie tells him he needs to watch what is happening. Oakland talks to Brett. He wants some kind of rematch with that punk DDP. Tonight, though, he will take off Malenko's leg and throw it into the crowd. How can you not love this? Nash versus Roth. Months of good work are completely undone here, as Big Sexy wins in fewer than five minutes with the jackknife. Yes, Roth got plenty of offense, but who is going to remember that? Jericho's hair today puts Mike's scores to shame. He is not happy with the lack of cheers he has been getting from Jericho-holics recently, especially as he is better than them. As for Duncan, he has hated Cowboys ever since Stu Hart made him be one. Bobby though captures and hogties Ralphus. He still tries to free him as Scott Hall comes down to the ring. Tonight is the final survey, because the Black and White Express turfed him out. He is here to start proving something, beginning against Alex Wright. And he does so with whatever his finisher is now being called. Malenko hobbles to the ring to face the Hitman. They work masterfully around Dino's bad wheel, but the crowd are more concerned with their show-your-tits chant. Brett gets DQ'd after hitting Malenko with a diamond cutter onto a chair, which only Mike Tanay gets. Page responds and actually gets the better of the Hitman, and he will take him next week. We're out with Goldberg Giant. The big fella hits the chokeslam right out of the gate, but only for two. The champ hits back and gets on the jackhammer for the title defence. Bam Bam jumps him straight afterwards, but security cuts him off. Then Nash has a go, and he actually breaks the wall of officials as the show ends. We finish up doing the old choo-choo in Tennessee. The black and white sons the retired Hulk Hogan show up in a limo. Bischoff calls the Steiner Hollywood's heir apparent. Scott calls for a minute silence for the Hulkster and doesn't get it. He doesn't care though, because he is now the leader of the NWO Hollywood. Scott Hall is their first order of business tonight. He better find himself a partner. Conan has his best match for a while against Chris Jericho. The Lionheart goes for the TV belt, but K-Dog catches him with a face plant onto it to win the title. He is a super serious Ric Flair. He wants Bischoff to listen. Getting old is one thing, getting great is another. Eric has no guts, class or responsibility. Oh, and he's an asshole too. The time has finally come. He wants to wrestle Bischoff. Tonight. Hall is out. He doesn't have many friends, so he will have to take on Steiner and Horace himself. Or will he? Because Nash is here. They might not have seen eye to eye for a while, 
but if Hall needs a partner tonight, he's got one. Raven and Canyon against the Armstrongs. The man from the Bowery does a runner, and Canyon gets rolled up for the shock defeat. Brett is not 100% tonight. The fans won't understand his groin injury because none of them have got groins. See? Dallas Page interrupts just before Charles Darwin can, and he calls Hit Scum a damn liar. Despite his injury, Brett will face him tonight, but only in a no-DQ match. Eddie V. Kidman. Yet more great TV action. Ref gets bumped, but Kidman stops Hoovy getting involved, allowing Ray to nail Eddie with a drop kick to the back. Kidman executes the shooting star for the win, with the bell ringing before the three. Eric and Wyndham are here. What we need now is another hero. And here comes Dean Malenko. He reluctantly emerges alone. Bischoff is giving him the opportunity he and Eric want. If Dino beats Wyndham, then Bischoff can face Flair. Dean accepts, but now we meet the special ref, the NWO's own Dusty Rhodes. Roth defeats Bobby Blaze, but the moment's gone. Sonny Ono's winning streak is also over. Or is it? No, because the ref sees a chain on Saturn, which he didn't use, and reverses the decision. The Goldberg Nash contract signing is up. Nobody goes through or under a table, but Bam Bam once again tries to get in the ring. Security collar him and send him all the way out of the building, but he still wants the champ. Later in the night, he will get him when Goldberg bursts through the back door and rumbles with him on a grassy knoll. Booker T beats Mike Enos with an Alabama slam. No Stevie this time. Luger defeats Brian Adams because poor old Vincent can't use a chair properly. Wyndham versus Malenko it is then. Barry lays in a ton of punches and... Dusty calls for the bell. Yes, he disqualifies Barry. Dino wins. Bischoff storms to the ring. Yes, that again. And fires Rose, but he doesn't care. The horsemen then pound on Wyndham and Flair taunts Eric. The match is happening at Starcade. The outsiders are back to face Steiner and Horace. The NWO ref is in charge here. Hall hits the edge on Horace, but the ref won't count, so he gets jackknifed. Billy Silverman runs in to administer the three. Nash doesn't celebrate with Hall, though. DDP versus the injured Brett. No disqualification. Page puts on the ring post figure four, but Giant trots down to break it up. Dallas takes two choke slams, including one off the top rope. Sharpshooter. Page is out. New US champ. They call him a monster. They call him a killer. They call him champion. Master of the ring. A phenomenon unmatched. He is their worst nightmare. You cannot hurt him. All you've done is make him mad. Awesome. And you don't want to make him mad. Powerful. Fearless. Took him out of his book. Unstoppable. We have seen the future of professional wrestling in its But now the man they call Goldberg faces his biggest challenge. Next. Ah! It's WCW NWO Starcade. Sunday, December 27th, live and only on pay-per-view. Call your cable or satellite company to order now. Just then you will have heard the final two nitros of the month and you will have heard the advertisement for Starcade that aired at the end of World War III. We do know what the two big matches will be and we'll give you a quick little preview now before we love you and leave you for the month. We have a big title match, which is Kevin Nash against Bill Goldberg. I very nearly said Kevin Nash defending against Goldberg. Now, there's a Freudian slip for you. Mm -hmm. And we also have 
Eric Bischoff against Ric Flair. And we'll talk about that one first, Adam. Ric Flair wants to wrestle Eric Bischoff. And looking at it again with my kayfabe hat on, I can't for the life of me think why he wants to do that. Uh, it's fairly simple, you know. He wants to legally be able to do harm to his boss. Um, he's a wrestler in a wrestling company. Well, in a wrestling match, he can he can do that. Um, I can understand why why it seems quite odd because the reasoning he was giving was for why Bishop should should accept was quite out there. But yeah, no, this that the having a wrestling match makes sense um, because apparent because I think I think what what they're going for is they're try, still trying to come across as you know they're the rest they're still an out they still have a hint of being an outlaw you know despite the fact I had a I was rambling on earlier about them being part of a massive corporate conglomerate and so of course as they're trying to present themselves as outlaw Flair just can't go straight to HR with with his complaints against Bischoff. No, it has to be settled in the ring. Um, it, which I'm sure actually might be quite a nice little gimmick match. Um, Bischoff obviously has a lot of heat with fans, uh, both casuals because he's Bischoff and smarts because of what he's done behind the scenes being Bischoff. <laughs> For smarts because he's Bischoff as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's you know on, on what so on that level it works. On on the other level, it's a shame the fact that Ric Flair, one of their highest drawing acts of all time, uh, is is stuck facing uh, essentially a non wrestler. But in storyline terms, it makes sense. In real life terms, it kind of makes sense, given the fact that uh, Bischoff has sued Ric Flair. For how many million was it? Uh, two million. Two million. So yeah, you know, Flair's obviously quite angry with him. What better way than to um, give him a number of low blows and slowly work over the knee like only Bret Hart can? <laughs> you can definitely stay. Uh, um, I mean, I'd, I think the, the match is entertaining. Um, the match will be entertaining just because. Uh, it's Ric Flair. I'm not the biggest Ric Flair fan um, in standard wrestling matches, but I think in matches like this, he could. He's going to have to do something different, and I, and it's just going to be fun to watch uh, Bischoff get wailed on by someone. If that happens, you see what I mean. That's my issue with this. If it's Ric Flair wanting to destroy Eric Bischoff, then all well and good. And, you know, I'll pay whatever it takes to see that any day of the week. Uh, from the smart fan, I hate Eric Bischoff side of the ledger. But why doesn't Flair just do that? We're talking heavy kayfabe stuff here, I know. But why doesn't he just do that? When he got to lay in a few shots on him on Nitro, and the crowd went absolute nuts. That's what they want to see. And if they don't want to see him giving Bischoff a butterfly suplex, they sure as hell don't want to see him selling for Bischoff and giving it the old Flair flop. People just want to see Eric Bischoff get his. It didn't really happen when, heaven forbid, we had Bischoff 
in a pay-per-view match last year. It didn't help that he was against Larry Zabiska, one of the worst baby faces of all time. And it didn't help that they completely blew the finish, but never mind. And Flair probably wins this match. Okay, but from his perspective, what does it prove? He beat Eric Bischoff in the middle of the ring. Big whoop. Why does he want to wrestle him? If Ric Flair wants his own wrestling contract back, fair enough, but that's not what this is about. I, I wasn't that discussed that um, for Flair to be able to wrestle again, he'd have to beat Bischoff, or am I just, or did I just imagine that? Um, that might have been there. One thing I do know for certain was there that Bischoff only agreed to wrestle Flair. See, this is making Bischoff look, seem like the end of level boss when he isn't. Bischoff saying he would only wrestle Flair if Malenko beat Barry Windham. Yeah, okay then. So yes, yeah, so if this is just Flair destroying Bischoff in fewer than five minutes, then okay. I think that's a perfectly fine hors d'oeuvre on the pay-per-view. But the fact they are building up as one of the two big matches concerns me greatly. And if you look at Booking 101, Flair has got the better of Bischoff at every single turn. He's had him thrown out of buildings. He's had him hogtied. He's had Mayers have a go at him, for goodness sake. No, the tide could be turning on the way this is going, and that concerns me. Eric Bischoff holding a W over Ric Flair helps nobody. So I hope that doesn't happen, and it is just pure the pure destruction that it really needs to be. One more thing to discuss is the, what I'm sure will be the main event at Starcade next month when it takes place on the 27th. Kevin Nash going for the world. <laughs> Kevin Nash going for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. <laughs> Chance would again be a fine thing. Kevin Nash going for the WCW belt against Bill Goldberg. Now, if you read the sheets like I do for this project, you will see that pretty much everybody is resigned to the fact that Bill Goldberg will indeed be losing this match and there'll be a one on his resume for the first time. Mark Madden, ever the reputable source I know, has reported that Bill Goldberg told him that he just wants to take the job and move on. Again, this is Mark Madden, everybody, so take that with a whole crater of salt, but I just report these things. So then, Adam, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Much like Michael Cole did to Vince McMahon exactly 12 months ago, who's going to win? Um, I'm definitely, I'm certainly seeing uh, Nash being the more logical outcome here. Um, I, don't, I just don't see Nash taking a job, no matter who it's against. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, you actually have to look, I mean, look at the situation that, that got us here. Um, you have to go back uh, nearly to the start of the year when some executives from Turner were like, well, this little wrestling company has been making us some money for the last little while. Maybe we should head down and see, see what it's all about. So Hogan, of course, hearing this, turned around to Bischoff and said, oh, you know what makes it look really good? Well, us, me, whatever. It's all the same, brother. Would be if, uh, if me and that Goldberg guy we sort of but had a little one-on-one match. Don't have, don't have to televise it. We'll just do a dark match after the show just for the suits and the fans in the building. I'll even lay down for him. Big match, big reaction. The suits can see what what this is all about, uh, and then you no, know, we don't have to talk about it again. No, we don't have to see them again. It's all good. That of course changed when uh, when Vince faced Austin in that non-match uh, on Raw, and Nitro suddenly yeah had a break in its uh, in its run of 
uh, rating successes. So Bischoff uh, had to renegotiate with Hogan and said, yep, you're still losing to Goldberg, but it's going to be on television. So Hogan put the proviso in. It was fine as long as he got to be the guy that broke the streak. Now, of course, this little presidential run has hindered this. So the next logical option apparently is Nash. Mm-hmm. Leading to the leading me to believe that at some point the Nash not only will Nash beat Goldberg, but he at some point will be losing the title back to, to Hogan. Mm-hmm. I don't know when, but that just gives Hogan the ability to brag and say, Yeah, I I beat the guy that beat the streak. Um maybe it'll lead to a Goldberg rematch. I don't know. Um I don't think they've thought that far ahead, so God forbid I should. Um, so yeah, that's that's the situation that's led to where we are now. Um, my only thing is how it's going to happen come today. Uh, watching the uh, watching the last brawl that Goldberg had with uh, B cubed um, out on out on the grassy knoll. There, uh, one thing that came to mind was uh, flashback to just before WrestleMania six. Uh, and Hogan was attacked by Earthquake. And they then feuded for the next year on the basis that Hogan lost the belt partially because of that attack. Um, I mean, I can see something like that happening. Um, it will certainly, you know, make Bigelow seem like a bigger threat if, if he sort of attacks Goldberg in a way that potentially costs him the belt. Uh, but I'm... I'm really questioning whether whether this is a good idea. Um, Nash, I won't say he thinks it's a good idea, but he, it's the idea he's happy to go with. I can't imagine why. But, you know, uh, it involves him not losing on pay-per-view. Um, I'm, I don't know why. Uh, I don't, I really don't think this is the best situation they could have put anyone in. Uh, especially with the fact that they keep throwing people at Goldberg, like Jericho, like Bigelow, um, and then the, all those challenges are going to mean nothing because at the end of it, Goldberg's not going to be the champion. So why are they going to still want to be chasing after Goldberg if he's not got anything worth chasing him for? Um, they're really kind of hampering themselves with this booking. Um, and it just seems to be a forced situation, I think. The headline in the news when we talked about that was did he jump or was he pushed? Suggesting that Nash might well have been to some degree instrumental in suggesting that Hogan could indeed run for president and make something of it. Leaving the lane clear for him to maraud all over World Championship Wrestling. And as such, he is now in what we would have known for the last two years as being the Hogan role. Here he is going for the world title at Starcade against somebody with an unbeaten record. Now, just to back up just a second, on the Nitro after World War Three, Kevin Nash fought Roth, who has been getting over just by beating people. Yes, Roth got 90% of the offense in this match, but nobody remembers that. All they will remember is that Kevin Nash hit the jackknife and he ended Roth's winning streak after four minutes and 30 seconds. There is nothing to defend that whatsoever. 
The commentary team, under orders no doubt, were trying to push the fact that this was, oh, if Kevin Nash can end his undefeated streak, maybe he can do the same with Goldberg. But in doing that, they have sacrificed somebody who is getting over organically. And then the next week, when Roth did squash Bobby Blaze, he's earning his corn on mentions tonight, when he squashed Bobby Blaze, when he went for the meltdown, he got barely a quarter of the pop he had been getting up to World War III. Need, needlessly destroyed on the altar of all things Kevin Nash. And it's things like that. And things like him, so far at least, in the build-up for this match, not taking Goldberg seriously. You know, pulling up behind his limo and mocking him. Doing the I'm scared face. Telling him that he needs to lay off the caffeine. That is not how you put somebody over as you know, your biggest opponent in the two and a half years you've been there, let alone the fact that this match should really be a respect match with it nominally being face v face. And Nash is doing his best here, and I'm sure this is completely intentional to make Goldberg look like a chump. I don't think it's really quite working yet in the eyes of the fans, but with three weeks to go before the match, it wouldn't entirely shock me if Nash gets the lion's share of the cheers going in. And then he would say backstage when he's there holding the belt, because as we get closer and closer, I fear more and more it's going to happen, that he says, hey, I'm just giving the people what they want, baby. That's what that podcast talks about every month, right? And I know he's going to come back to us on this. It would not surprise me if Evie wants to be on the show next month. And if he is, Kev, you know where to find me. I'm presenting that one. Try and prove me wrong and do the right thing. But I can see Goldberg being whatever it will be, one, eight, two, and one. And I'm not one of these people who think Goldberg needs to stay undefeated forever. I just don't think that's believable in today's pro wrestling. And you could, you could get away with it 10 years ago, building up to WrestleMania 3, saying that Andre the Giant was undefeated when he wasn't. But TV was sparse in those days. You could say those sort of things and sell tickets and pay-per-views on the back of it. You can't do that these days, I accept. But Goldberg's winning streak is somebody people really are buying into. People are bringing signs week after week with numbers on them. It's something people could genuinely believe in. And because Kevin Nash, has he done a job of any kind in singles since he joined? I don't think he has. He lost. He, he was counted out at the last pay-per-view. Yep, of course. Intentionally counted out, of course. That wasn't clean. <laughs> Sold out 97. They lost the belts, the outsiders did to the Steiners, but it went back the next day. They did lose alongside six to Piper, Flair and Green at Slambury 97. But that almost felt like a that almost felt like a village fake match. It was great fun with great crowd heat, but I almost don't see that as canonical. So I'm not even counting that one either. And I just don't see him getting himself in this position and then doing the J-O-B on the PPV. I hope I'm wrong. Listen in next month to find out if I am. I'm, I'm happy to be wrong many times on this occasion more than any other. But I fear that Kevin Nash is going to help himself to the WCW title. And if he does, there is at least one saving grace. It is taking place on the 27th of December. So unlike four years ago, we will not see him outside <laughs> what would be CNN Tower with a Santa hat on singing Christmas carols. It's a shame because they have these flashes of brilliance of what to do with Goldberg. But they just can't seem to capitalise on him. And now they're going to throw it all away. Which does conclude our discussion of November 1998 World Championship Wrestling. I'd like to thank Adam Joyce. Adam, 
I'm going to put you on another show next time, I promise. But thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, that's that's fine. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have quite the knowledge as I did last month. I was, I was expecting uh, the Phantom Third Party to have uh, done all the, all the research for me. Um, I, I hold my hands up to that one. Yes, I should just say we were supposed to be joined by Billy Johnson today, but we had some uh, some really quite rough audio problems, which I did allude to in the main show. So he couldn't actually join us. Hopefully he'll be back for the ECW show next month. So it was just Adam and I riding solo with none of our usual Thunder Saturday Night Pro Prime ballast, which Billy provides so often. So, uh, what else have you got going on in... What's going on in Adam Town, Adam? Um, well, I mean, obviously you can... Uh... Follow me on all the, all the socials. Um, El underscore J on on the Twitterverse. Uh, the only twenty YRS uh, Twitter handle, both followed by Jim Cornet and blocked by Hulk Hogan. Um, actually, Jim uh, retweeted one of my tweets the other day. Most reaction I've ever had to a tweet. So, uh, thanks, Mister Cornet. Um, yeah. Jim Cornet. Jim Cornet knows how to use Twitter. That's uh, even having seen his tweets, that still baffles me. But there you are. Well. We were on, on the outs for a little while, um, and I actually uh, spoke to him, and he said, "You know, I'll block you on Twitter if you show me how to do it." So, um, uh, I'm, I'm, that, that sounds I'm very that sounds very right indeed. There we are, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I also have a Facebook page you can like, uh, el.j.comedy. Uh, you can hear about all my comings and goings on my various other projects uh i, I do stand-up comedy mostly around the southeast but i try occasionally travel a bit further uh, i've got nothing lined up at the minute but as soon as i have something it will be on there uh obviously i'm, I'm here on the 20 yrs uh show every month for reasons i question my sanity over but, I, but should you want to hear me in in other me in other forms uh if you liked my political commentary from earlier and want to hear more of that uh, check out the Mind Fart podcast. Uh, I occasionally contribute to that. Um, number 61 dropped uh, the week before we re- recorded this one. Uh, I'm on there. And what uh, my article, I, I consider it my uh, days of future past in the fact that the cameo that's usually in every other one of my articles didn't show up in this one. Uh, also, quite high quality. Uh, I'm not doing one for the current one, but I believe number 63 will be dropping around the same time this podcast will drop uh, where I'm doing a piece on Armistice Day uh, three weeks late. But uh, I'm not exactly known for my punctuality if you ask anyone who knows me. Uh, yeah, I, I said last month I'm looking into other social medias for those who aren't on Twitter and Facebook. I know some of you are out there. Uh, so that should be up and running by the end of December. So I'll plug that in the next one. Which won't be a WCW show, I promise you. Absolutely promise you. <laughs> yeah. You can you can come back to me if I try to do it as well. Okay. And we've got out, it's out there. It's out there to our millions and millions of listeners. So, you know, they'll come down and be like a ton of bricks if you're talking about World Championship Wrestling in January '99 or anything like that. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll get you talking about something fairly fairly more positive. Maybe maybe WWF January '99. Leave that one with me. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be in mind. And listeners, don't remind me and don't remind him, okay? But we are the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. You can find us on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook. I am primarily in charge of the Twitter account. 
our boy Chris Lacey, normally there for Facebook. You can hear our shows on Apple Podcasts. You can hear them on Podbean. You can hear them on Player FM. You can hear them on Podcast Player. And you can now hear them on Spotify, which is the best way to check out the entire archive going all the way back to our prologue show in July 1993. Uh, it's been said to us on Twitter, on Facebook a lot over just the last month that a lot of people have joined us after the Halloween Havoc show. So, Adam, it wasn't completely in vain, who, are now <laughs> got, who have now gone back to the very, very start. So they've got us to thank, if that is the right word, for putting, their, for putting them on the path. And I sincerely hope that when they get back to October 1998, they listen to that show again. <laughs> and they and they do keep listening, perhaps most importantly of all. <laughs> I can almost see it as being the ultimate full stop, but uh, there you are. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs, or you can just go to the Patreon homepage and search us there at Wrestling 20 Years Ago Podcast. We've got two tiers for you these days. One dollar will get you exclusive early access to every show as soon as it is available. You will not need to wait until the end of the month for all three shows. When it's packed and sealed and delivered, it'll be straight in your inbox ahead of the rest. If you want to drop us $5 a month, then you will get that, and you will also get our exclusive monthly bonus shows, at least one of those every single month. For November, if you join us, you will get to hear Chris Lacey, Chris White, and Dan Welling discuss uh, NXT TakeOver War Games which took place just a week ago. A live watch, which was 100% a live watch. They went into that not knowing the results or anything at all that happened. So you get some live reactions, which I think is something quite rare for live watches. A lot of podcasts do them. A lot of podcasts do them extremely well. But this was as live as live can be. And as somebody who watched along with that show last week, also having avoided any spoilers, dare I say I might even take it over Mauro Ronaldo. Nigel McGuinness, and definitely over Percy Watson. <laughs> a music-based show is going to be with you next month on the Patreons. We've got some really special ones lined up for the Royal Rumble in January and WrestleMania in April. Say so $5 a month will get you those on Patreon. But again, I want to make this absolutely clear, patreon.com. If that's where you want to go, please drop us anything you wish. Far from compulsory, and the main shows will always be free. They will never go behind the paywall. You'll always get your WWF, WCW, and ECW. At the end of the month for your chosen podcatcher app, guaranteed until and very possibly beyond the end of time. So say thank you very much for Billy Johnson for trying to join us today. Hopefully he'll be back next month. Adam Joyce, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you all so much for listening. We really do appreciate it, everybody. Stay tuned next month when we've got our end of year award show. Always a good time. Guaranteed a fun listen. But on this month, you've got volume one looking at Survivor Series 98, the Deadly Game Tournament and a record-breaking review of ECW November to Remember in Volume 3, which we may just have broken a record for pay-per-view scoring, if you know what I mean. Check us out each and every month, three volumes, guaranteed. So from me, from Adam Joyce, we're out of time. we got to go. And remember, if the stunt granny winks at you, you're doing it right. And when she plays her big scene, she creates more heat than you could ever imagine. Can you pick out the plant? It couldn't be this sweet old lady. How's that for pile driving, Miss Daisy? My best way to generate heat from an audience is just my arrogance walking down to the ring. I think there's a little part of acting to it. Now here's the secret. She's a stunt granny. 
And every night she puts on her pads and takes a fall. The two guys behind her are also plants who keep her from getting hurt. But does Granny really hate the wrestlers? Hardly. <laughs> 